White Sox fans, Alyssa Bergamini, your in-game host for your Chicago White Sox, and you're watching the best podcast on the south side of Chicago, South Burbs Hitman. Make sure to tune in. You're listening to the Ballroom Network. The following program is intended for all audiences. Welcome to the South Burbs Hitmen Podcast with your hosts, Joe Mandel, Stephen Zim Zimmerman, Vinny Parisi, and Chris Gonzalez. We're bringing you the White Sox coverage you need from the perspective of true Southsiders. Grab your Comiskey dog with an ice cold beer and meet us at section 155. Everyone get on your feet for your South Burbs Hitmen. That ball hit deep. Way back. You can hit it on the board. Yes. Jimenez in the air. Left field. He's your hero tonight. Thanks, Cubs. Over the head of Jenks. Uribe charges close. Out. And the White Sox have won the World Series. Alexei. Yes. 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 What is going on, everybody, and welcome to the season finale of South Burbs Hitman. And I think we have picked the perfect day to end the show for the year because there's been so much announced today. We have a fired up special guest to bring on here shortly. And uh, the White Sox continue to disappoint all year long. Gentlemen, I think there's an understatement would be to say that this team is disappointed this year. And our special guest will talk a little bit more to that today. But the big news is the retirement of Tony La Russa. Um, real quick before I bring on our guest, Vinny, Zim, Chris, how you guys doing tonight? Vinny, you can start and we'll work our way clockwise around. Yeah, I mean, played well against San Diego. That's a team that's been a horn, uh, thorn in the White Sox side. Uh, in off-season level stuff for the last couple of years. They got Fernando Tatis Jr. from the White Sox in a bad trade. Manny Machado chose them. We all remember happened with what we all remember what happened with Yonder Alonso and uh John Jay. The report that came out that said uh Yonder Alonso and John Jay might have told Manny Machado to go play for the Padres and then they signed with the White Sox. If whatever report is true, they've the Padres have just been that team in the National League for a couple of years. It was nice to see the White Sox take two or three from them. The Padres did clinch. I enjoy watching Padres baseball. I have one of those Sweet City Connect jerseys that they have. They're cool. They're a fun team. I can't wait to watch them in the playoffs. But we'll see what happens. Hopefully the White Sox are able to have a big offseason. I know we got a lot to discuss and go through all offseason long. No doubt about it. And uh, Zim, what, how you doing, buddy? Uh, first, before you say anything, we're giving away a pair of tickets to tomorrow's game for one special listener in the chat. So if someone leaves a great comment on their thoughts on the White Sox season, sum it together in one comment. We'll put it on the screen. You win tickets to tomorrow's game. Somebody's got to watch the team. Anyway, Zim, you're not. You're up, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, I'm actually I'm really excited for this year's playoffs. Um, 
as weird as that is without the Sox being in it, because just it's different teams. It's it's not the same group that we always see in there, which is kind of fun. Um, let me fix this. I think I'm coming in a little hot. How's that, guys? Sound better? Much better. So I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing Seattle in the playoffs, honestly. Like, it's been a big drought for them. Um, they're not a bad team by any means. In addition to the other guys that are there, Cleveland getting in, like, as much as they're a division rival, they're a team that nobody thought was going to get there, and they're playing their asses off. So – I think there's just a lot to look forward to in the playoffs, even as a fan uh, of a team that didn't make it because at the end of the day, I'm still a baseball fan. I'm going to enjoy watching what's happening. Once I get over the, for lack of a better way to put it, the the butthurtness of being a white Sox fan. That's a good way to put it, Jim. That's a great way to put it. And speaking of butthurt, Gonzo's below you. I'm just kidding. Gonzo, Uh, your, your favorite manager of all time today uh hung up the spikes if you will we'll talk about him here shortly with our guests but uh what are your thoughts gonzo real quick on tony's retirement obviously we all knew we saw it coming from a mile away um i don't think that anything is a fault specifically to tony with everything that's going on it's a much bigger problem but chris gonzalez quick thoughts and then i'll let you introduce our guests before we bring them on yeah no i mean the the presser, the end of season presser with Tony. Um, a couple of things that kind of sparked for me was the fact that he continued to take take it on the chin, like he always did for the players, and that never changed. And he took accountability of it. He didn't even have to do that, but he did it. From the Hall of Fame manager that he is, he took it right in the chin and um, took all of the accountability for it. And that's what I can respect. Not only that, but I respect that as well. I'll give you that. Not only that, but the, all the players were there at the presser. I don't know if we've seen that before from this organization, but that was something quite interesting to see. Um, all together, it was a great presser from Tony. Um, all the best wishes for his health going forward, and we'll see who yeah. uh, takes the helm for yeah. next season. And I, and I think we all echo that sentiment across the board. You know, I, I know White Sox Twitter has been pretty uncivilized about the whole matter, but no one has any, at least no one on this show has any any uh, bad bad hopes for Tony. We hope he gets better. We hope everything's good, and we hope he uh, was able to live a, a long and healthy rest of his life. But I do want to we, say though, with you know, with going back to the spring. Look, when that first episode of season two, we looked at the roster. We admitted the flaws that we saw in it, but we did thought altogether on paper that it was good enough to win it. And sure enough, it's been disappointing to say the least, but there's one person to uh, take away from that disappointment. It's going to be our guest and Nazi jr. And ultimately really um, look, I, we all thought that these last three games of the season would have mattered, but it doesn't. Yeah. That's just, that's just baseball. It, it definitely doesn't matter, but uh, we do have our special guest, Ozzy Gian Jr. here with us. Ozzy, we can't thank you enough for joining us, but uh, why don't you quickly, quick thoughts on Tony LaRusso's presser today and the madness that is White Sox fandom. So, you are, you there. there you go. Um, <laughs> guys, first of all, thank you for having me. I think that in this craziness that's been White Sox Twitter, that's been White Sox fan base. I think that you guys and your show has, have kept the most realistic 
grasp on things in the sense that it's even you guys have been able to critique without making it personal. Uh, I think that I appreciate that the experience that being around the White Sox for that long, meaning always being around the White Sox and following the team as closely as possible. We saw things from the fan base, not only on social media, again, you can say there was no sister media back in the day, but like reactions on the stadium, you know, the booing of a, of a, of a, of a manager. They didn't even do that against Ozzy. They did boo a couple of times and, you know, call him names, but like the chanting across the board of firing someone or, or now the chance that you hear for calling for, you know, the, the change of ownership. We never really saw that ever, at least in my time frame. I, I can't say that I was ever a part of that, of like you can hear them chanting out. And and you know what? Uh, it, it was hard to see because I, I know Tony from a personal level, okay? And I, and I tweeted about it today that I thought that Tony LaRusso was the right person for a couple of right reasons, okay? I thought that this team had had a manager that was their dad, Okay. And meaning daddy Ricky and daddy Ricky was a guy that the reason that I think that he let gets let go is because that he was not very good at the X's and O's. Okay. When pressure got to him and that they thought that this team had matured enough to the point where he can't take him to the next level, meaning the players have control over Ricky at all costs. And they needed a guy to come in and basically kind of lay the ground and say, Hey, you got to play my way or the highway. And I think Tony was the right guy because I thought that Tony might have been a little bit how he was in the past. And, and early on, we saw that he had changed. And I really didn't judge it completely because this team won 93 games. Okay, 93 games with a lot of injuries in the previous year. But everyone they brought up played really well. And Tony won 93 games. And they played a, a team in Houston, a team versus Houston that was very good. And I thought Tony, again, his new way is working. But right from the beginning of this year that you saw that, it, that was not the case this year. Underperformance, Tony kept backing up the players, not throwing anybody under the bus, you know, supporting his guy, supporting his guy. And you can see that him, the more losses that happen, the more that physically he did not look fit to be in the position. Again, I don't think any manager manages at 100%. I think Tony might have been average. But again, this season was, you know, he wasn't the best. The team wasn't the best. But to see him there today in the press conference, and one thing that was ironic, I guess you can call it, fans are saying that, the team was lying about Tony's health, that it's a way for not firing a friend. Uh, who cares? What's the difference of Tony getting fired or Tony walking away? Other than the fact that I think if he gets fired, you have to pay him the $4 million. I think now if he walks away, it might be something that might be discussed between uh, ownership and him. Again, that's up to them to decide. But what's the, what's the, what's the big deal? Okay, he steps away. Fans are going to get what they want. Here's the part where I like what Tony did. Tony took accountability. OK, for for what he did. OK, and the fact that he didn't get him where they wanted to be. And my Twitter shared this. Tony did not get him to the elite level. So that's a fail. When, when you take a manager's job and you do not execute, the only way that you succeed is by winning. And he didn't win. OK, because this job was to win the World Series. Ozzy would tell you personally that he failed all of seven years except one when he was with the White Sox. OK, that's how managers think. So Tony failed. He, he admitted it. He gave his part. He took accountability for his part. The fact that the players were there was awesome because a lot of people had a lot of thoughts that the players weren't there for Tony and that they hated Tony and that they weren't playing hard for Tony. I don't think the players were playing hard for anybody, to be honest with you, not even themselves. And I think that was, that was, that was a, that was, we can talk about it later, but that was already laid on the ground that they didn't, they didn't care who the manager was. They were not playing hard for anybody, but Tony basically is accountable for what he did. 
here's a part that's funny for White Sox fans that's going to hurt. Tony Russo's legacy, we're only going to think about this for the next couple of years. His rings are also going to be there. Tony got his. The White Sox still, still need to get theirs. Okay? Tony has his. Again, the White Sox yep. still have to get theirs. He leaves that press conferences with all his hardware and his Hall of Fame, you know, plaque. The White Sox players that were sitting in that room have to think. And, and if I would have been Tony, I would have said that. I got mine. Maybe you guys need somebody else to get yours because I wasn't the guy to deliver it. So it was really sad seeing him, you know, meaning like it sucks to see a, a, a guy that you think so highly of. But then from a baseball perspective, and it's been the, the text messaging around the league and guys that you're friends with of like, a lot of people are like, man, if Tony was not able to get this team to believe in themselves and play hard, who can do this job? Tony is bilingual. Okay. Tony is a guy that when you, you turn the baseball card, you're like, oh my God, that's Tony LaRusso. Tony's a guy that we know that he's very personal. So other than the X's and O's, he didn't get this team to buy in. That's going to be something that's going to linger on top of it. For the fan base, now you get to blame everything on Tony. My question is going to be, it's going to be really funny with no changes happen. And in, in May and June, we still still see the same stuff. Bad defense, no base running. Like, who are you going to blame at the end? So like now they took away the Tony concept. And in the last two months of the season, we saw that even, you know, Steve Stone, even Vinny was getting blamed. Vinny, Ozzy, Steve Stone, Southpaw, literally anyone the Sox fans could put the blame on except on the players. And I think by Tony leaving, this opens up a huge opportunity for other people that might not be taking the blame for what happened. And again, I think at the end of the day, I think that the only way that he would have succeeded would have been with a ring, you know, and a trophy over his head. I think if it would have been a Hollywood movie, that's how it would have happened. But I think that Tony came out of retirement. I gave him credit for that. I think that someone that saw that opportunity, having that many rings and that much success, Tony's okay financially. I think you have to give him props at his age to come out and take a beating like that. Most guys would have quit the first day and said, I don't need this crap, and just walked away. He didn't. He, he, he grinded it out. He stayed with them. He tried to come back until the last minute where he said, you know what? I don't think it's worth it. And I think he did hear the fans. I think he heard the booze. And again, I don't think he, he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be a distraction anymore. And, and he just stepped away and he said, you know what? I tried my best. I did what I could do. I came in here thinking that this was going to be on cruise control. Okay. Because when people compare Ozzy, what Ozzy Guillen took over to what Tony La Russa took over, I would say this to take it to my grave. I think Jerry Manuel left a way better team foundation wise than, than Rick Renteria did for Tony La Russa. And even though he won 93 games, I think there's a lot of growth that needs to come from that team. Again, I think Tony did what he could. And now that Tony chapter's done and people could say whatever, but he leaves a Hall of Famer still. And again, the best living manager till this day. And we'll see what time comes and does that. The, the myth that, that Tony's not an analytical guy, that's the part that's all crazy. He couldn't connect with Latino guys. He literally invented the analytics uh, you know, world of how you do things and view things. Again, it didn't work out at times. You know, the funny stuff, him falling asleep, he's not the first manager to do it. Him, mm -hmm. you know, him doing things of like walking a guy in the middle of an at bat. I still don't know why he did it. If it's any other manager, we'll probably get fired on the spot. But since it's Tony, if you're the other guy on the other side managing, we were talking about that. Imagine you managing against Tony LaRusso and Tony walks a guy in the middle of an at bat. That would literally throw you off so much as the other manager of like, True. this is such a bad move. What is going on? Like I would literally have my host staff. And again, I think if you're a player and you're a staff member, 
you're sitting there as a failure and and end of baseball operations because you failed this guy that it could have been such a great story of him walking away and having the ring. And, and again, I don't want to see anyone. I'm keeping receipt. You guys, the day 20 is no longer here, just like Jerry Reinsdorf. I don't want to see half of the White Sox fans crying and rolling in the ground. Oh my God, we lost this guy. But it's been so bad that it's been so bad that for the first time, my mother, Ivis Gian, told my dad, I don't think any amount of money in the world is worth going through the beating that that man is going through because she would just read the stuff that they were saying. And he's like, if they're treating Tony like this, who's a hall of famer. Okay. Who's yeah. a guy who's never said anything crazy in his life, you know, compared to Ozzy, what are they going to do to you? Like literally, like what are they going to do to you if you get a job like this? So again, it's, it's sad to see him go, but it's a chapter that is closed. And now you have to say, okay, how can we get better moving forward? from a front, like if I'm the decision makers, that chapter's done, how can we move on? We can't keep going back and saying, I see people write and say, we wasted two years of the window. What are you talking about? You won 93 games last year, okay? Yeah. It was a, it, this wasn't a year that it was just Grandal that didn't hit. Nobody hit. It was everybody. It was everybody. Your, your players only played 80-something 80, 80 games, okay? And there's some guys that their production's there when they're playing, which is great. And we'll talk about that, Eloy Jimenez and them. And there's other guys that their production might be going down because of age or injuries or, again, those are all things that we're going to have to, they're, they're going to have to explore and seeing what kind of moves they're going to make. The Tony chapter is going to close. Tony's going to be loved by a lot of people still in the game. You know, a lot of people have been messaging him saying, hey, you know, we know in the world of baseball that if you don't win with the trophy, you fail. So for White Sox fans, unless he that guy walked away with a World Series trophy, to him it was going to be a failure regardless or not. If he got fired today or in four years. For sure. Nazi, uh, we have uh, Zim's going to pull up a clip from Tony's presser. Uh, we're going to hear his statement real quick, at least the opening parts of it, and uh, just briefly react to it. So, Zim, take it away. Zim, we are not hearing anything. Got no audio. Yep. Sorry, guys. Minor difficulties here. That's all right. That's all right. We'll we'll just keep on trucking. We'll come back to it later on. But uh, Ozzy, you, you alluded to something there about some players kind of declining with age, and uh, I was just curious if you think Jose Abreu has played his last game as a White Sox. I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that Jose Abreu holds a place in in the White Sox decision makers' hearts that they're going to bring him back. I think that they're scared that if they don't bring him back and they don't produce, um, I think that when you look at a Jose Abreu, they think in their hands that they have uh, a guy that's, you know, hit 40. They have Frank Thomas basically in their hands. And in reality is that they have Jose Abreu and, and you're going to have to make that decision. Um, he's going to be able to get hits again. Average is not something that I hate because I still believe that there's value. He still drives runs in, but if you hit third, you're going to drive runs in, you know, the guy drove in hundred runs with your leadoff guy, not scoring hundred. That's pretty impressive. But it's going to have to be a decision. His power is not there at all. So I don't know if it's due to injury, uh, due to him not trying because of another reason. But his his lack of power is one that if you do bring him back, you need to replace that power. And again, it could be replaced if Moncada and, and Eloy and everybody who has to hit the home runs they have to hit, do it. You can replace that power. But not, not having a power uh, numbers in a position like first base it's very hurtful. And again, I think that if Eloy Jimenez could play left field every day, you bring Abreu back as your DH. Okay. Um, 
For sure. And uh, Zim, I think I hear that audio. Is that is that up and running now? Maybe. Give us a quick sample here. No, we're not. It's all right. No worries, but we'll just keep chugging through it. Uh, Vinny, I know you wrote a lot of articles about uh, some upcoming decisions that the White Sox have. So I was curious if you want to bring up uh, any of those topics here um, specifically. Well, I'll let you pick out of your articles because you've wrote quite a few. Uh, you're also on, you're on mute, Vinny. That, that's completely my fault. That happens once an episode. We got it out of the way. Junior, I did want to know from your perspective. So Dylan Cease had this outrageous season, right? Like he's probably going to come second in the Cy Young awarding. I think Verlander is probably going to end up taking it. But, you know, Cease will come in second, I would think, like third minimum, right? Um, the rest of the pitching staff, there were ups and downs for Giolito, mostly downs. There were ups and downs for Lance Lynn. He finished really strong other than the game against the Guardians that they kind of really needed to win. But, you know, we, we've seen what we can get from Michael Kopech. Obviously, the ceiling's really high. The floor is probably where he is right now. What do you make of the pitching of this team this year? And what would you do with it going forward? You know, I think that if Cease keeps growing the way that he's doing, you have a true number one, okay? Yeah. That means that Lynn can take a step back. Um, people don't realize, like, in the 2005, 4, 5, 6, 7, the number one for the White Sox kind of switched. They all played number one in different years. Garland one year had, like, 18 wins. In White Sox fans' eyes, it was always Burley, you know. They, they always, you know, Mark, the only guy that's ever been booed at White Sox Stadium ever in the history of the White Sox. We always used to joke around about that. But I think that Cease's growth was probably one of the biggest positive things that happened. And this is why most people look at the no-hitter game. That game he was on, no one was going to hit him. That game I don't count because he's – Dylan Cease is one of those guys that stuff-wise you see him once and you go, if he is on, there's no one hitting him. There's, he's just got stuff at that level. But the game that he had um, where he had nothing, okay, the games where you knew that in previous starts in his career – he'd walk a guy and then they would score three just because he couldn't find the zone and wouldn't make the adjustments that year that was gone. Okay. Um, he, 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 he adapted as the game went along and that's a huge learning curve um, for him. You could see that his demeanor on the mound had changed a lot. Um, and I think that was a huge uh, growth for him, meaning from a pitching staff. If he wasn't win the Cy Young, if he finishes second, third, fifth, whatever, it doesn't matter. I think that, he had a shot for it. He had a legit shot, not like a Lance Lynn shot the year of the, the year before, but like an actual legit shot. Um, I think that he's a number one. I think after having the number one, I think that you look at how you're going to set up after that and you have options. I think Lance Lynn has been giving you a great, you know, three and four spot. You know, every time he's been asked when he is healthy, he has been able to produce. He keeps you in games. Again, you're building a team around your offense. Lance Lynn is a great option. He's already signed um, the Giolito, it's a decision that you have to make where you see him long-term and how much money he's going to ask for this year and how much, what you might get in return from in the market. Again, if you make be able to arbitration and kind of bring him in, he's been a guy that, again, his ceiling is high. You might write him out for another year. He might return. There's there's a guy, though, that no one's talked about. They're going to have to make a decision on Cueto. Cueto's going to ask for a lot of money. Very dangerous move. A guy that pitched really well this year, gave you a lot. Again, he can come back next year and be a Cy Young and shut me up. He's a guy that it's like he's always going to have an asterisk because of his age and, and and you know, and past performances. So you have to be very – it depends on the money. But there's a guy that no one's talked about, Mr. Martin, okay? 
this guy, this young man, every time they call him to pitch, no one even knew who his name was. He come in and he shoved. He shoved the whole way, even the game that he wasn't a starter because they did the whole Joe Kelly thing. He still shoved. Okay. Um, it's funny because I think that was a Cairo move. I think that was more of a front office move. They try to play with the opener and whatnot and started Kelly. The kid shoved. I think that he has a legitimate shot for the fifth spot of that rotation. And again, with the Copic situation, you get to see and say, okay, where, where are we going to put Copic? You got Crochet coming back. Again, you can play with that situation. But I think in the starting staff, I think that you have that, – that's probably one of the, the better parts of the White Sox moving forward. I think that the starting staff wasn't lights out, but it wasn't something that was concerned. I think when you talk about pitching, there's a player on the Chicago White Sox that I don't think the Chicago White Sox are at a point right now where they need an elite closer, okay? Liam Hendricks is a very team closer-friendly deal, meaning if you put Liam Hendricks on the market, you're going to get a lot in return. There's a lot of teams out there that are going to be looking at Ken Krimber just got you A.J. Pollock back to play one position. That's a pretty good trade. Imagine what Liam yeah. Hendricks can get you in the market, okay? Why do I say that? The ninth inning, Don Cooper used to have a philosophy. You can put anybody in the ninth, they'll eventually become a closer. You have the arms, including Joe Kelly, who, again, didn't pitch well, done it before. Braveman, done it before. Deakman, done it before. You have Ronaldo Lopez, okay, who in that the comeback role kid. might look amazing, okay? Not only Ronaldo Lopez, you have Michael Kopech and Crochet that could become closers. Again, Kopech is very close to – when you look at the way that he pitches, he's very close to um, to Bobby Jenks. And when I say that is Bobby Jenks could have easily been a starter. Okay. And the reason that Bobby doesn't start is because they had Brandon McCarthy and then they made trades for younger arms and they didn't really need him in the rotation. He helped them more in the back end. But it's a guy who can dominate more than one pitch. You put Kopech in the back end, he, he'll become he'll, – he'll shut some people down. Again, so I think that you might make a move in the bullpen more than in the starting staff. Uh, moving forward. But I think that in the starting staff, I think the question mark is Jolito. And if you do move Jolito, though, you got to make sure that it's a worth, it's a move worth doing because you might be able to ride him out for one more year. Again, he's not elite side young wise yet, but he is a pitcher. And when you look at him compared wise to other guys and what other guys are making, there's guys that are pitching like Jolito that are making 15 million a year. Okay. So he's still arbitration. He's still someone that you can kind of tread lightly with. I think that depending on what you can get back and what they're deciding to move forward with, you got to keep those guys. And again, with Dallas being out this year, I think that the starting staff is one that you don't have to do a lot much with. But I think I would consider moving the bullpen more and giving maybe younger guys that opportunity and moving that money and retooling in other parts that I might need that. And to go along with what you just said, I mean, you can I mean, you imagine if, if they are going to bring, because Han did allude to it, that they're going to bring crochet into the pen or, you know, the rotation there. Um, they're going to put him on an innings cap like they did with Kopech. So you can just split, you know, that innings cap with uh, Martin that you brought up for the fifth spot of the rotation, but you definitely got to bring an arm in. And, you know, there is value for Giolito with, you know, with this arbitration year, year. So that it's either one arm or two arm that you're going to have to get. And that's Han's decision. Um, he's ultimately going to have to make this off scene offseason lottery tooling but um speaking of han my man joe here's gonna pull up some comments from his presser and we gonna roll on through here yeah so uh, it was interesting han had a lot of interesting things to say you know yeah, i think we're going to use this opportunity to get different perspectives new way of looking at things a little different from those who have been a little more insular to the organization 
He also said he, if he ever felt he wasn't the right person for the job, he would step aside and he's thankful to have continued support from ownership. So um, yeah. how do you translate that, Ozzy? Because to me, it sounds like Rick Hahn doesn't have any fear for his job. Well, well, well why would he? Why would he yeah, have to a terrible roster has been let go is uh, during his time there has been only managers, one of them including having a World Series, a couple coaches. No one's been really let go from that ops team. And again, I think that if you feel safe, um his relationship with the only person that can probably fire him is probably Kenny Kenny. Okay, and the only person that can fire Kenny is, is Jerry, or Jerry telling Kenny you gotta fire Rick, which I don't think that would happen. I don't think that that you know. I, I thought it was funny. I thought he was gonna cry I, for a second there. I thought he was gonna shed a tear. Um, at least his face gestures looked at it. Um, but again, he gave his explanation. You know, he said, "I felt that we didn't bring enough here," and he kind of put it back. And again, there's a lot of things that he got to sit back on the injuries. You know, the belief that he knows that everybody thinks that he, he you know, that Tony wasn't his idea. So if he really thinks that Tony was the problem of it. He might really still think that his team is that good. And this was just a fluke year and statistic wise, which again, you could still think that, you know, this team can come back next year, same lineup and everybody hits 30 home runs. And then they win the division by 98 games, you know, 90 plus wins how they had him this year. That's a decision that he's going to have to make as a baseball uh, insider and a baseball, you know, general manager. That's why he gets paid the big bucks. That's what they have to decide. Again, the difference is when you're looking at culture differences between 04 which was the last time the Sox made a huge difference was that the general manager believed in what the manager at the time and the staff was telling him, we need to make this change. There's a culture shift that we need to make. You're going to have to make moves that are not going to be looking great early on. Some people are going to call for your job. And at the time they made those moves and it worked out. Now we're talking about how great those moves are. Now, He's going to have to buy into that if that's what they believe. With Tony stepping out, there is no manager telling him unless it's Cairo, you know, who comes back and sits in that position or the staff saying, hey, we might need something differently. They might think something completely different. So, again, you got to trust the, the brain powers on that. But, again, he seemed very relaxed. I don't think that he was someone that, you know, his job was – that he felt that his job was in jeopardy. Again, he didn't talk towards the end of the year. He's always talked very open. I just think it's funny – you know, two weeks before they fired Rick Venturia, he said that Rick was his guy. Okay, that Rick was the guy that was gonna—they're gonna go all the way through. Two weeks later, Rick's fired after the Oakland series. Okay, so at the end of the day, it's like I think it's funny when they're saying we're doing the interview process now differently. Okay, you basically told everybody what everybody kind of knew already, and now you're saying we're gonna interview Cairo, which, in my opinion, I think it's eyewash. Just my personal opinion. You either know if Cairo's the guy or not. What are you interviewing him for? You're wasting his time. Really? Are you going to give him back his bench coach job? Like, you know, do you really need to interview him? And then the comments about like the World Series, we want somebody with a World Series ring who's been who's been active recently. If you go and hire someone like Ron Washington, the fans can always come back and say, well, he doesn't have a ring. You know, Dusty Baker doesn't have a ring. So I think that when you put yourself in parameters, you know, the Steve Stone message of the why AJ Hinge got crazy, our next our next manager is going to be a catcher with analytically inclined. Oh, Ron Karkovice likes numbers. He was a catcher. You know, you, you get fans to kind of run and do these like conspiracy theories without really looking into why a guy is picked. And at the end of the day, guys, I'm going to be honest with you. Jerry Reinsler, for better or for worse, 
It is the, he is the owner of the Chicago White Sox. Okay. He writes the bill. Okay. And if you think for a second, okay, that Jerry is going to let these guys make a decision, okay, without his stamp of approval, fans are more naive than they think that they are. Every owner lets guys make a decision and they, at the end, they say like a parent, yes, that move, it works. Or absolutely not. You're not bringing this guy in. Okay. So that's where people think like that Jerry's going to go to the Bahamas and, and, you know, sit out on vacation and not like me, not have a scene in this, like Chris Getz is going to have, you know, they already mentioned other guys. So again, the interviewing process is going to be interesting, but again, I don't think that that's as important as what he has to do on the field. And, and one thing that I want to get clear, man, I hate when people say the next manager has to be a Latino or the next manager has to be so the next manager has to connect with the player, regardless of skin, creed, race, anything. They need to believe that the most important thing in those guys' lives, other than their family, is winning baseball games. More important than your stats, more important than contracts, more important than anything. They got to believe it's if it's a crazy person like Ozzy and the way that he did it, if it's someone like, you know, Cito Gasson and Joe Torre, the way that they won their championships, regard if it's Joe Madden doing a magic show, okay, if, if, if it's, you know, guys fighting in between players and managers, whatever it is that they decide to do, whoever comes in, they have to buy into the players and the manager have to be on the same page. So for Rick to come out and kind of just play that, you know, that mystical, it was funny because it, it looked a guy like I was a little defeated, you know, look at the video, talk to me after the parade, the, the swagger and the, you know, the upbeat to the guy that was talking today. He looked like, he looked like he was lost. Like, Oh my God, he was looking for Scott Merkin to ask him the easiest question on earth. He was asking for Judas, you know, he, he's lucky that the, by the way, that everyone in there was a beat writer and not a blogger or a fan. Cause it would have been a lot bloodier than the way that it went down. Those guys were like, they were going to ask a question. They lay out a pillow and then they can, you know, they, they literally looked like they had, they literally gave them the questions before they were going to answer it. Like if you want to come to the press conference, you got to ask these questions. No other questions can be asked because they were very cookie cutter. You know, nobody said, well, you know, Tony's stepping down. What, what's your fault in this? You didn't give them the players. You could have gone a back and forth. Could have been really good for content if one of the beat writers would have gone rogue and gone one-on-one -on -one with, with Rick and said, wait, wait a minute. So, you know, he's going to be the one to blame. Well, what about your staff? You're not really firing me stepping down. Where do you guys fall in this? So it could have been a lot more interesting. But again, I don't think that, I think he's a general manager. I think that, you know, they, they've built a championship. One of the guys in that team has built a championship before uh, in the president, which I, 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 I hold very high in regards to his baseball acumen. I know that he's not happy. And, and not because he told me, it's just because I know him personally and people don't change who they are. And that guy is probably the most miserable person the last two months that he had to see of the Chicago White Sox baseball. I just know that because of the way that he is. Not so much maybe the, 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 the Cleveland series because that one's like, they were a very good team. The one after that, the Detroit one, that was the one that was like, you know, made people say, what, what the F is going on? You know, Salt on the wound. <laughs> and but again, I had not, I had not, and that's the one where, where Rick, then those guys, I think that they were in the most pain because, because Tony wasn't there. Okay. Cause if Tony's the issue, then you're like, let's win it and prove to everybody that it was his old bastard that we hated. Okay. Um, is it, is it that you don't need a manager change the game, you know, let the players just manage. I'm sitting there quietly, you know, let the guys have swag and, you know, let's do cartwheels and come back and win the division. It, it was just like a complete, just, 
They didn't play for themselves. They didn't play for their kids. They didn't play for their family. They didn't play for their country. They didn't play for their contract. They didn't play for anybody. There's a long list of things that you can play for. That looked like just a bunch of what, uh, just a bunch of zombies roaming around on the field. Which again, it looked a lot better playing in in San Diego. I thought they were going to get rolled in San Diego. Played a lot better baseball. But again, that that series after that, that's the one that I think the front office needs to. And again, every time I say front office, baseball operations. So I don't include the marketing people. People said front office people were mad about that. Baseball operations people need to really look and say, what do we need to make happen? Again, really have conversations amongst themselves and say, are these the right players? Again, do we have Giolito one more year? Do we make a move that helps us better? Now, because you got to think about when you look at the player's age, 2023, I don't know why people think it's like the make break all. Okay. When Ozzy took over in 2005, and I keep bringing Ozzy back because it's the last time they won a championship. Ozzy had one year of these guys losing a pennant race, sit on the field, watch the twins celebrate on their field, okay? And then I went out actually to party with the twins afterwards at a nightclub in Chicago. It was awesome. <laughs> Whatever the twins had in that time, I was like, this is what the White Sox need next year. The team, the guys were awesome. Rivas, Dougie, you know, uh, Delman, awesome team. Guys Bauer was on that team too, wasn't he? Was on that team. Just a really good team. With a, with a guy that was Ozzy's, one of Ozzy's really close friends. And Ozzy was very embarrassed. And I remember Ozzy hugging the skipper after saying congratulations. But he knew that he needed to change something in order to beat the guys across the dugout. Okay? And changes happen. Going back into now is saying, okay, before that season, though, I, that was Ozzy's first year being a loser because he had won the World Series in 03. So Ozzy's like trajectory as a manager and whatnot to winning was different. But Mark Burley, John Garland, Paul Konerko, Aaron Rowan, Joe Creedy, man, it's 70-something percent of that team that was watching the other team celebrate, who came back the year after, had been under Jerry Manuel for four years prior to that, watching the same thing happen to them year after year. So their growing pains as professional baseball players, it wasn't like this. It was like this. So Jerry Manuel's job to get them to like where Ozzy was like, come on, guys, let's become adults in baseball was a lot better than what Ricky and, 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 and Tony. So, so I think that those guys paint like growing pain. So to come out here and say 2023 is win it, you know, World Series or nothing is very naive to say. It's like, let's win the division again. Let's win. Let's get past the first round and let's play competitive. If the White Sox had lost this year, on a walk-off by Josh Naylor in the ninth inning in Cleveland in game 163, you say, you know what? It was just that one play. We're just as good as them. We're just as good as them. But it wasn't like that. So, like, this team needs to take more stepping stones. I think the worst thing that happened to this team was the COVID year. I think that was the biggest misinterpretation. The That's short like season. 60-game short season. made it. Yeah. The Marlins won. The Marlins got into the playoffs, and the Marlins beat the Cubs in the first round. And we're in the second round of the playoffs, the Marlins. Okay. The Miami Marlins did that. So that's how crazy that season was. So I think that they got overhyped and now maybe this makes them more realistic. And it really looks at it and says, what are the guys that we're really overvaluing and which ones are we valuing the right way? And how are we going from that? That's why I don't think 2023 is a let's win it all. You know, if we don't win the world series, burn the ship down, like where the Yankees are at, like the Yankees and the Dodgers, they're at that point of like, if we don't win the world series, Light up a fire in the ship. We're all losers. The White Sox are not there yet. They just jumped like two, three years of growth. 
where I'm like, what do, what do you say? It's like on, like they think like they're that, that good. So again, I think that next year's is a year of like new manager, again, getting to know these guys, maybe new, maybe new ways of playing. Maybe the new manager comes here. This is, I'm going to give you guys a quick one. What happens if the new manager comes here and says, Tim Anderson is not my leadoff. It's AJ Pollock. Oh, the fans are going to light him up. Oh, yes. They'll light him up, but it's the fans. I'd love it. Your point. What, what would you think the fans would do to that manager if that's, yeah. his, that's his first plan? The fans yeah, are going to What's, what's wrong throw. with you? That'd be the first thing they say. But that's what yeah. I'm saying. Though. So, like, those are the things that we might, like, this this way didn't work. So, somebody might come in. Somebody is going to come in. And she's going to have to come in. Somebody's going to have to come in and things are going to have to be. Because why? You haven't won with them. And this is why the Jose Abreu thing is so serious. If Jose Abreu was somebody like Derek Jeter, okay, and he has five rings and you're looking at him saying, Derek, like, you're like, man, that's Derek Jeter. That guy has five rings. He's made winners before. Where has Abreu won before? Including Cuba, by the way. Just because you're just because you're Cuban doesn't mean you want a gold medal. It's, That's number one White, White Sox mistake. You're not wrong in the sense, but he it is only individual accolades for him. But you would like to at least believe that you can build a, a contender around an MVP. Okay, right? I'm, gonna give you, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna say something right now that people. The one of the reasons that I respect Mr. Frank Thomas who was the greatest player to ever wear the Chicago White Sox uniform. Amen. Because in the, in the year 2005, Ozzie Guillen had to do probably one of the hardest things he ever had to do as a manager and was to bring his friend in the office and the greatest player to ever wear the White Sox uniform. Sit him down and say, I need to platoon you. You need to play for your spot. Okay? That's his friend, former teammate, enemies, frenemies. And for Frank Thomas – to know that what was happening in the clubhouse was so special and say that day on the bus and say, I have one leg. I've been the face of this franchise for what a many years. I want a ring. Yep. If I have to be a platoon player, I will do whatever this team needs in order for me to get a ring. Take me where I need to be. And he did what he had to do and he produced he got mm -hmm. hurt, got shut down. Yeah. But is Jose Abreu willingly to come back to the Chicago White Sox? I'm not talking a team-friendly deal for $6 million, $9 million. Say, give him the minimum. Say, you know what? Money's no option for me. And you guys DH me, play me at first base. I only need to play 90 games. Do a pool holes with the St. Louis Cardinals. Right. Maybe we need some rest. And if he comes back in that role where Andrew Vaughn is now the everyday first baseman, and you don't have to play every day, and he is willing to make that sacrifice, then you say, Jose Abreu, you need to come back in this roster. But for him to say that he needs to come back at that amount of money to be the everyday first baseman when you have not been able to win more than 93 games and you have not advanced to the first round of the playoffs, the, the decision makers need to look themselves in the eye and say, is this the right guy moving forward for us to be able to take it to the next level? I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying that it's wrong. This guy has produced – a lot, but it's an honest decision that you have to make. Like, dude, Elvis Andrews is 36 years old, and he played two months, and everyone was second-guessing if we should put T.A. back in left field. And this is a guy that said, shut the fuck up to Ozzy. And I was like, yeah. people are like, Ozzy, what do you think? I'm like, I don't think Elvis Andrews should be the shortstop next year. Why? I'm like, it's Elvis Andrews. Like, he's 36. If Elvis was 22, I'm like, okay, now we have a conversation. I'm like, T.A.'s a kid. I'm like, we went from, like, T.A.'s good enough to play short like he can produce to like, oh, screw that. We put him in the left field again. I'm like, because the guy had two good months. So that's where like, that's how crazy the decision-making yeah. is on any guy. When fans are like, 
we should play with Sevi Savala, Mendic, Elvis Andrews, and Berger at third. You're like, damn. Like, I'm like, okay, go to Charlotte. That's yeah. the Charlotte team. Go, right go down AAA. I'm like, that's Charlotte. So I'm saying, like, that's a decision. And I hope that obviously the great decision makers are not there. That you really have to say, okay, guys, like, I know it was a bad year, but like, you know, do you like blow it up and like you trade TA, yeah. you trade Giolito, and you like, they won 93 games a year before. So that has to still be taken into consideration again. Sure. If Abreu had a down year, I think Randolph, for me, for, for me, honestly, I think Randolph's knee is not healthy. I think that he's been hurt the whole year. I think he came back too early before. I think that he needs to get healthy in order to be a catcher. And, you know, maybe you put Eloy in DH and say, Grandal, you're only in the lineup the days that you're catching. And find ways to have, you know, I think that whoever's the manager, man, needs to have conversations with these guys and just be honest and, and, and just, you know, talk about it. I'll give you an example, the Pantera one, okay? No one talked about Pantera. that last week. Brutal. You know, no one's asked Pantera. Th- this is the this is the problem with the Pantera move. Pantera was not only hurt, okay, but not only is he hurt, which means his way of playing is going to be a little bit less. But they would play him on Monday and not play him till Thursday. Okay, yeah. Pantera's only been in the big league three years. Never played more than hundred games. He's he's sitting on the bench for three days, and then he has to go to get up and face Shane Beaver. What do you think his swing's going to look like? Yeah. He has well, no clue. So if you're going to play him hurt, play him every day. And that's well, where – Last week, Ozzy, we said uh, for our Adam Dud of the week, we pick we picked the White Sox whole front office and training staff for the handling of what they did to Luis Robert. I mean, it was brutal. Just it was, it was for him mentally. So, like, imagine, like, you being hurt and then you're not getting played. Like, if I'm hurt, play me until, like, I literally collapse on the field. But, like, don't play me today and then – have a position where I'm the one supposed to be hitting or pinch running. And everyone in the stands is like, where's Robert? And everybody's like calling me that I'm soft. And it's like, Robert's not saying don't play me. If not, he'd go on the IL. Going on the IL in Major League Base was the easiest thing ever. They touch you in a price and you say, it hurts. Oh, what do you mean it hurts? It hurts. Why? I've seen big league guys be on the IL for a whole season, not having anything wrong with them. They say it's hers. They have the player association. Mind you, those guys get released next year because trainers are like, this guy's milking it. But it's the easiest thing to say. It hurts. Ow, it hurts, it hurts, it hurts. So he could have easily taken off and said, you know what? I don't want to play. I'm really hurt. But he didn't. He kind of sucked it up, again, to his detriment. But those are the things that are going to be the hard decisions. Like the decisions between the Abreu, okay, that's a hard one. I don't even want to be in the room for that one. People talk about picking the manager is going to be hard. That Abreu decision is horrible. The second one is the Giolito decision. Because that decision of the Giolito, do you imagine the White Sox trade Giolito and then he goes and is a pitcher that everyone knows he has the potential to be? Like yeah. how bad that would be? Or th- talk about the the freaking Tatis move. That Tatis was like 12. Giolito leaves and you think the Rondon won her? Imagine if Giolito goes and does a Rondon. How much That's that would exactly- Or Moncada. That's exactly why I think they won't get rid of those guys, though. They love how high their ceilings are. And the White Sox have always, always, for as long as I've followed them, granted, I'm like 12, like Tatis, but, you know, I have followed this team long enough to know they're going to hold on to the, um, what, what's the word, the the projection guys, the guys who could be winning. And you know why? And that's the reason why Ozzy Guillen's not coming back. And maybe that's, again, that's something that they need to reflect on themselves, like, as humans. And I always have Ozzy do the same thing. They won't admit their mistakes. Because no. if you trade and you give up on, on a player like Jolito and you move him, that means that in your like in your baseball realm, you failed to make him better. You 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 were wrong. Like you know, and but, 
that's the problem is this this whole organization and granted the organization in my entire life has been Ken Williams and uh, Rick Hahn. Well, mine too, though. Well, so, by the way, right. I'm 38 and I've had Ron Schuler and Ken, like it's it's not like the right. guys. Like it's like it's <laughs> no, no, it's, it's been fairly consistent. Like props yeah, to them. Not, for that, not many regime changes. Time. Yeah. No, but that's what it's I mean. Working. But you're right, Stephen. Like sometimes you have to look and say what we're doing is right or wrong. Okay, and you have to be okay with the decisions. Like if you go ahead and you move Moncada and you play Burger at third base, you need to take Jake for what he is. Okay, you can't expect to put Jake at third and play him and expect him to play defense like Moncada. Okay, like player as fans and as front office, I think that we buy into this perspective of like we're trying to make guys that much better than they are. I think in order for you to be successful, you might have one guy to have like an anomaly year, like a Johnny Cueto, Elvis Andrews at the end of their career. They're like, oh my God, these guys are just off the charts amazing. But then everybody else, you might have one or two guys that are like not that great, but everybody else has like their like a normal year. Like everyone's just like doing their thing. So I feel like the White Sox, for some reason, they expect everyone to just be like phenomenal. And it's like, no, you like you look at the Dodgers, no one's having like a like a like an Aaron Judge type of season. Like you you look at a team that's won 110 games, you're like, there's a 25 game winner in some time in that staff. There's somebody who hits 70 home runs, and there isn't. It's just like very consistent. Good defense, you know, solid base running. And I think that this team needs to stop worrying about, like, all those things. And literally when they go to spring training, it's like, guys, back to fundamentals. Like, this is a baseball. A baseball, it's round. It's got stitches, ground balls, you know, throw the bases. Like, more than analytical, I think they need to go back to fundamentals. And then from there, build on every single day and going back to fundamentals. Like, I always – I talked to Moncada about a month ago, and obviously he didn't listen. I said, Moncada – Go back to like the beginning because I've seen great guys do that. Like you try to like make it too complicated of like, I used to hit like this. So now I'm going to hit like this. And it's like, dude, just go from scratch. Like what was like your stand when you were like 10 and like try to get a hit and like build. Correct. No. And and, like just build from there. And again, it's like, it's like when you're in debt and you want to pay off the biggest loan, you know, the biggest debt problem you have instead of paying off like the $10 that you owe in one credit card. It's like start off in the bottom. So like right now, and I'm including the mix. Like we think like sign Aaron judge, make, make TA a left fielder, put Elvis Andrews at short, bring Iguchi to play second. Like you're thinking about like this crazy moves and maybe what they need to do is just go back to fundamentals and say, Hey, you know, let's start off from scratch, not worry about analytics, bring it back to like square one. But again, those decisions are probably the hardest ones the White Sox have ever had to make in an off season with players moving forward. More than bringing anybody in is about who they keep in their in their roster that's already on the team well and i think what you started off there was a really good point about the guys who you know just the one or two guys who have the awesome year and the rest of the team is just fine and that's how they elevate their entire play but it almost makes me wonder if that's what's happened the last two years you know with tim anderson winning batting titles with jose abreu winning mvp with eloy jimenez going bonkers in the power department for that one season he did with yoan Moncada all the way up until the covid year you know were these guys outperforming what their actual career trajectory is going to be and so now we run into the problem of this this team thinks they've got superstars where in reality they've got average everyday players and they need to find the real superstars i'm gonna now. give you steve i'm gonna give you another one if today's if, if the way that today's roster was constructed when Ozzy was the manager, 
Gordon Beckham would have gotten a, a five-year, seven-year deal after his, 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 his first year with the White Sox. Gordon Beckham came to the big leagues, and literally no one could get him out. That second half of the year that Gordon came up, he was like Mike Smith mixed with Roberto Alomar. Like, they play him at short. They play him at third. At one point, they were like, maybe he should be the everyday shortstop because he was that good, and he was an amazing defensive whiz. And I remember Ozzie Guillen got thrown under the bus and hated by everybody, including the front office and everybody in the White Sox fandom when 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 uh, when Gordon said, I want to be the next Derek Jeter. And Ozzie said in very Ozzie form, tell him to be the next Ozzie Guillen and play for this franchise. And people thought it was Ozzie trying to blow himself up. It was Ozzie trying to tell him, hey, kid, like you're you're not I've you're not going to be you're not Frank Thomas. OK, take it easy. So when you're looking at, and Gordon admits to that now of like, man, like I got so hot that I really believed the hype. Imagine if those guys would have signed. Diane Vecita would have been signed to a 10-year deal. Yeah. So there's a lot of guys that, that Rick signed early on and people threw a parade for him because, man, he signed these big-time prospects. And you look at you look at Pantera. You're like, this is a baseball god. You look at the guy, you're like, you know, he looks like Pedro Serrano, you know, who can drop 50. He just looks amazing. And, and why wouldn't you sign him? So – when you're looking at those guys, including Moncada, which is like Moncada, he had a great year, but people still get confused. When Moncada signed with Boston, he got signed there and had a bonus. When he came to the White Sox, he was still under the Red Sox deal. There was no need with the arbitration years. There was no need to extend him for seven years. That was a shot that the White Sox thought that they had a good opening because they thought that this guy was going to be amazing and hit 30 home runs as a third baseman. And in reality, he might not be that guy. So a couple things. The baseball situation, I think that the baseball is very different now than it was two years ago. Okay? Juiced. Juice. When you're playing, when nobody cares, okay, what you're doing, you play with a little bit more relaxed, okay? When nobody cares if you win or lose, there's no expectations. You're Ricky's boys. You lose 11 to nothing, but you hit five home runs. People are like, oh, my God, they're way different than when you come into a stadium every day and they're like, you're the next World Series champion. You're number two in the power rankings. Okay, that's a way different mental game that you have to deal with. Also, they have huge contracts. So now, are you like, hmm, I need to produce like my contract? There's a lot of things that can happen in the background that can really affect you as a player. So that's where we look at this production and say the only player that consistently has produced is Jose Abreu. He's the only guy that uh, there's two guys that I, I would say that would put up the numbers. If Elo Jimenez plays 100, 120 games, he will hit 35 home runs. Because when he is healthy, you look at his numbers and you can't argue it. Like, look at his numbers now. Like, barely played 100 games, 15 deep. You know, the guy's a – he's a producer. That's why with him, I'm like, hmm, find him to play another position or put him there and, and put, like, padding on him. He hates him. But he's a really good producer. Like, he's a guy that you're like, he's hit every single time he's played. Every other guy, it's like, what month are you in? Oh, is it May? Is it June? Is it July? Including Tim Anderson. Other than the year where he hit for the batting title, you know, he's been up and down. And the hardest thing for T.A., which, again, it's not a knock on T.A., is that to win the batting title and hit the way that T.A. hits without walking, it's very hard because he's swinging at everything. So unless those hits start continuing falling, his average takes a lot of time. And there's one thing that I knocked T.A. on is as a leadoff is that he's never scored 100 runs. You need to score 100 runs in order to be a good team as a leadoff guy. Like you need to score 100. So again, he needs to run more. Again, those just those are just my personal opinions. But when you look at those guys' production, they've always had. And again, you can go the default. Okay, they got rid of a hitting coach 
who literally had these guys doing really well. So when they're then they have that change. So like between the hitting coach, COVID, the short season, there's so many things that happen there that they really need to analyze and say, what happened here? Why isn't Moncada producing? Why isn't Pantera producing? Like Pantera is like the whole health thing. I hope that he's okay between his the whole vertical thing. Remember when he came out of the game and he was like, like, you know, he the, couldn't breathe the and blurred vision and stuff. The blurred vision and two weeks of his blurred vision stuff, and then and then it was his hand. Uh again, I think that the whole medical staff situation, I think that the White Sox have never missed Herm Schneider more than this year. The, the whole medical staff situation and everybody that's there working there right now, that was a whole fiasco of, of how that was ha- handled and guys getting hurt. And, and again, they were never able, I think that one mistake that the White Sox have made, and it wasn't the year before because everybody that they signed actually did it better. Lamb, Goodwin, Ger- Germinator, who carried the Sox for two months, they all produced <laughs> higher. Even Mendick this year, when Tim Anderson went down, Danny Mendick, played at the Tim Anderson level, if not better. So those guys were able to like mix it up. The White Sox, for some reason, when they make their roster, they have like the starting nine and then there's no depth. It's like they, they go out there like with no backup quarterback, no backup running back, like no one gets hurt in baseball. And I think being a team that you know you're so injury prone, I think that they need to spend more money on like what's option A and B when, when so-and-so goes down. Because that might be the case. Like, Moncada might be good for 100 games. Tim Anderson might only be good for 100 games. And if that's how your team's going to be constructed, you got to make sure that you have an Elvis Andrew, a Danny Mendick, a guy that when he does come in, okay, that he does produce. That It's not just a, I'm a fourth outfielder, I'm like whatever guy. No, it's like, no, this is like a legit, you know, baseball player that can come in and be plugged in and is going to produce at those levels. Again, going back to they're going to have to have a heart-to-heart amongst themselves. And really, 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 uh, really figure out the situation. Because, again, it's not one of those situations where if you bring Aaron Judge, it's fixed. You can't go back and say, bring bring, bring Manny Machado, and that will be fixed. There's really no, like, you bring one guy in, it's all fixed. They need to literally need to learn, like, really figure out how to construct and figure it out. And then, and then have to deal with the money situation. Because, in my opinion, I don't think White Sox fans are going to buy the whole thing. Hey, what's the slowing going to be this year? Rem- you know, please trust me this year. Or, you know, yeah. they've had so many win and die trying, you know, uh, you know, change the game now. You know, so like I think White Sox fans are at the point where they're like, dude, we just need a consistent, solid team that I can at least this year. It wasn't even about winning. It was about I can't even stand watching this team because the way that they're playing is so bad. I'm embarrassed. So they have a lot to do early on. But they'll be at the table, though, Ozzy. They always are. <laughs> no, again, but again, but that's but that's what they need to realize and and decide as a as yeah. A, and again, is this hiring of a manager going to be a, uh like a like a year fix or is this one that you're going to be like this guy's going to be here for the next six years, six years regardless of what's going to happen? The Bucks are starting to look like the Florida Marlins, where you know you have a guy like Michael Kopech and he's on manager three. Michael Kopech has been in the big leagues in less than five years and he's on manager number three already. Tim Anderson's Crazy. on manager number three. Think about that though. Like that takes time and, and it's been great, but it can also go back. Like what happened if the guy that comes in, which is like the odd people are like Ozzy would be great. I'm like, yeah, the right moves are made. What happened if Ozzy comes in and like half of the roster hates him and it takes him a year to get rid of those guys to bring in somebody, you know, to bring in the next group. It's like, do you have time to buy that one year? And again, those are the decisions they're going to be making. The white Sox right now, they have to look at long Chris Gonzalez made the best point. The Giolito look at his contract and like what it might look like later. 
Tim Anderson and what it might look look like later. I know it's easy for fans to say, eat Moncada's contract, eat Grandal's contract. It's not a one or two year deal. Like it's literally a multi-year, three to five years that are left in those contracts. So it's not as easy as like, let's just walk away from it. And again, again, could the team afford it? This is Major League Baseball. Any team can afford anything. But is it the right thing to do? Time will tell. It certainly will. Junior, I have a question. Earlier in the season, me and you had a little joke back and forth about Mankata. And you said you need to check the receipts to see if I deserve to root for Mankata. You do. Lo and behold, I, I feel like I do because I've been on this guy – in a positive way, basically since he came into the league and people, and I defended him last year when he was a four and a half war player. And, you know, he was pretty good last year. He wasn't 2019 Moncada. The power numbers were low again, but he got on base. He drew walks. He played great defense. He did things that helped teams win baseball games. And he was relatively healthy too. I believe he was second on the team in home runs or in uh, not home runs. I wish home runs in games played to only Abreu who plays 160 games every single season this year. I, like you, have come back a little bit. He had a horrible year. And I'm worried about what what's the future. What Mankata are we going to get? Is 2019 Mankata a thing in the past? I'd settle for 2021 Mankata. 2022 Mankata, they'll make it $25 million a year. That's tough. So I want to know what you think about our, what was our guy. You know, Mankata MVP, he, he finished 21st in 2019. He played 132 games. In 2021, he played 144 games. He hit 14. The, the power numbers have never been the same. But if you look at the power numbers, in 2018, he hit 17 only. So that 25 home runs that came in 2019 were, were, were ones that were like, okay, uh, where did this power surge come from? Okay. And in, and in the COVID year, he only hit six. Okay. So he didn't hit, you know, 15 and the powers are there. So the power numbers of Moncada, I think that the power numbers were the third base position in White Sox history. People think that Joe Creedy hit 40. I don't. I think Joe hit thirty once, if that. Everything else was like in the twenties and whatnot. When you look at a player's performance, and and people go back to T. Moncada was the best player on the White Sox, eighteen, nineteen, and twenty, meaning in the infield, other than Jose Abreu, best player, WAR wise. This guy's WAR is still higher. His defense is so good that his WAR is higher than some guys that had great offensive years. Younger guys. That's how good his WAR is defensively. It's like an Ozzie Guillen, better looking with a horrible average, okay? My question with Moncada, this is my friend. I got Moncada on text message. I text message with him. You know, we talk a lot about a lot of stuff, okay? He's a good friend. My questioning of Moncada, and I've, and I've tried to convince him multiple times of, you can't care what the fans say, Okay. And he's felt that for a long time that he is a scapegoat to this team, to the team, to the fans, that he is the guy to blame, okay? Moncada doesn't get a lot of love. And again, that I think that he has because his contract is better than anybody else's on the team. So it's like, you're getting paid, dude. Like, you're getting loved. Fans, White Sox fans are never, you're not going to be the White Sox favorite player because you don't play like they like you to play. You don't dance, you know, you don't roll on the ground and get dirty. You know, you're probably not going to charge someone. Your, your, your beard is... Better, better groom than some women's makeup. You know, like you are a pretty boy. Not, not the White Sox thing, but the the game. And Ozzy talked to him about this. So you know the game that was at the ground ball, and he threw it to first. This, yes. is you, this is where you know people's knowledge of baseball, and you're like, like when I watch football, 
and like I, I talked to Lance Brinks and Lawrence Holmes and those guys like like on chat, the stuff that they share, like on like coverage and like what Justin Fields did, I sit there and I'm like, I am such an amateur at this game. They're talking about things that I'm like, I didn't even look at that. Like it's like my son, my son watching baseball, like they're watching a whole different game. And I think I'm a football expert and I'm not. I'm like, these guys are so advanced. And that's why they're good at that. When you're watching baseball, every single White Sox fan was like, what a lazy play Moncada took through the first base. What a lazy bum. No, Moncada did everything perfect. He just, he probably should have been like, guys, the, the tribe, nobody runs that hard in Major League Baseball. Stop running hard. And when you look at the league, Moncada wasn't the only guy that did it to. They did it literally to a, a team once a series where you're like, oh my God, like you got to hurry up. That's how they play. And when you're used to playing a routine of a speed in Major League Baseball, because Major League Baseball, not just the White Sox, not hustling, meaning not running like your life depended on it and your pants are on fire, is something that no one in Major League Baseball does anymore. Everyone, you hit a ground ball to second base, you kind of just do your, your beautiful trot. The only guys that are beating something out are the guys that are hitting 190 and are about to be released and are siding head first to first base. Those are the only guys that do that. Like, you're not good. You're like, oh, my God, I need a hit. The Tribe, the Guardians, the only reason that everyone is watching them being like, this team is unbelievable is because we're used to watching a certain game of baseball because we're not 100 years old. That reminds us of like, oh, my God, not everyone's striking out and walking like they're playing like they're just cruising. They're just like, man, these guys are really going at it. Like they're playing sandlot baseball, just being energetic. They're young. That's why everybody's so captivated by them. That's people think it's like, oh my God, they reinvented baseball. Like, no, they're just playing how they used to play in the 90s. Nothing that different. Moncada, that game, that was not the play that Ozzy was upset about. And then I was like, you yo, you can't do that. He hit a fly ball. So his first at bat, he popped up, and the fans were like, Boo. And I was at the game live and he looked, he looked, people don't, he looked and he was just like trotting, looking. I'm like, he's looking. I can tell that he is looking at the stands. Okay. And everyone's looking at his defense. Then he got himself out in the next inning and Moncada literally almost crawled to the bench. He didn't even run to first base. Okay. And that's when on his way in Miguel Cairo said something to Moncada. Okay. And he got on his he got on his butt, which rightfully so. What the other part of the camera doesn't show you and people don't talk about is that other players on the White Sox got on Miguel Cairo for getting on Moncada. That is a, that is a problem because Miguel Cairo shouldn't even have to tell Moncada that you need to play hard. Jose Abreu is 150 years old. He's at first base trying hard. <laughs> if he's trying that hard, everybody on the team should try it hard. That's at least the way I think. Like, man, right. running that hard, I got to play hard. That guy's 180, okay? Like, that's the comparison. Like, you look at St. Louis Cardinals right now, everything Yachty and and, and Pujols and Wainwright do, they're like, why wouldn't we do this? These guys are getting a standing ovation, walking off the mound, everyone together. So Abreu doesn't have to be vocal and give speeches and, and you know, stand up. He leads by example. That's good enough. But, like, good teams, your managers, Ozzy never had to tell a player, you need to run the bases hard. Jermaine Dye, Carl Everett, someone would grab you by the throne and be like, we don't play that game this way. And you could be losing because it happens. And guys go, dude, it's 162 games. At one point, you're like, F this, I'm not going to run. You, you know, you threw your bat. So for him, when he did that, I was very like, okay, dude, I know that you don't, I know that you might not be playing for Tony, maybe. You might be upset about something, but you have to respect the game of baseball, okay, that you love so much that you have to give your 100%. 
you can't just literally walk to first base like that. And, and I let him know that as a friend because somebody paid their money to come watch you play. Okay. And that's just, you owe that to the game of baseball. So Vinny, going back to that for him, I literally need to make, find out that if he really wants to be here. Okay. Like, do you really want to be here? Like, do you want to stay in this marriage? Like th they might boo you. Like your wife is still going to be nagging you. You know, you're not going to become the most favorite player the next day unless you hit 35 home runs. And even then they might still boo you. So like, like I would literally talk to him and be like, do you want to be here? I'll give you an example. In 2004, the only player that I deemed the greatest player of all time, meaning having the biggest cojones of anyone in the world. If you guys think Kenny Williams is a scary gentleman walking, he's older now. 2004 Kenny Williams was probably benching about 300, okay? Top shape and just, just the meanest human being walking in a suit at 24-7, okay? Just he felt that he needed to win 162 games. The, the meetings that they're talking about now that now like, oh my God, he had a meeting. Those are not just new meetings. So now he used to have those in 04 as well. And the team kind of just debacled. They played horrible. And he had a meeting and his meetings were like very, you know, scary. Like if I was a player, I would have been like, he's probably going to come here and choke me out. And he's probably going to get away with it because who am I going to tell? And the 2004 White Sox team was a very fresh team. They literally sit there and be like, Dude, another one of your meetings. Like, they were that fresh team. And there was only one person that said the comment, what are you going to do? Are you going to trade us all? And that was Carlos Lee. And I was like, at that moment, I was like, Carlos Lee has the biggest cojones in the world because he's literally calling out the general manager in the middle of a meeting, like, what are you going to do? You're going to trade us all? And he told him the famous words, where do you not want to be traded, Carlos? And he said, well, don't trade me to Pittsburgh or Milwaukee. And where did Carlos Lee end up? He ended up in Milwaukee. So there's a funny thing of like, did Kenny even have a plan? He might have just said, I got Carlos Lee, send whatever you got. Like, because he was so upset. Is Moncada at that point of like, I don't give up, I don't care. I don't care who the general manager is. I don't care who the manager is. I don't care who you bring here. My mom could be the manager. I'm going to do what I want to do. If that's the case, okay, then you really need to dig deep and you need to remove him or find a way for him to get bat back in because then it's not about, that's not, a, that then it's not just about production then it becomes what you really call a clubhouse cancer because that stuff's contagious. Just like winning is contagious, one bad apple in your clubhouse destroys everybody else because the week that you play one bad game and you pull on one string, then everybody's upset. And then you start having factions. You're like, this guy is friends with Moncada. Vinny and I are friends with Moncada. And then Joe hates Moncada. So Vinny and I are like, screw Joe. You're being too hard on Moncada. And you start having those little clicks. You can't have that in the Major League Baseball clubhouse. I know people don't believe in that, but you need to, like, if everybody hates the manager, that's when people are like, they hate Tony. I'm like, good. I hope they all hate Tony. Like, I used to be like, guys, if you hate me, if I'm the reason why we need to win, like, you guys all hate Ozzy, for all means, hate me all you want. Put a sign up, throw dartboards at me. You guys need something cohesive. So that's my worry with Moncada is, and people think, like, the music videos, that's all dumb. Who cares? In his, in his mind... Can he stay concentrated and stay focused for 160, 150 games that he plays, 140 when he gets back to that number, and do the stuff that he has to do health-wise? Like, if you do have a setback, like I thought he was like having the best spring training ever, he was in great shape, and then he has that fluke injury on the oblique, and then it kind of like set him back. I think that he mentally was like, you know, why now? And it was like, whatever it is, what it is, you can't have that. You're, you're a grown man, okay? And they need to have that conversation with him. Like, if I was – yeah. 
you know, and those are the funny part. When Ozzy makes the comment, I know everybody in this clubhouse better than anybody else. It'll be a little bit different because Ozzy wanted Tony to do well. Ozzy, Miguel Carlos is buddy, like, dude, like play hard for them. Ozzy would be tough love type of situation. They need to figure that out of whoever, like with him specifically, where's your desire at? You know, he's the opposite of Abreu. Abreu is like, let's be realistic. You might be playing too much and hurting us because you're too, you're like, we need to save you from yourself. Like Abreu would play 162 games, no doubt in my mind, if they let him. He might hit one inning, but he would Tony, be out there every single day. Tony alluded to that today during his press I mean, conference. He would be out there one leg, one arm, just like, you know, hitting with one arm. Like he would play 162 games. He just built differently. Moncada, they need to, he needs to have a heart-to-heart himself. And whoever is the closest person to him in that organization, say, hey, man, which should be Jerry or Kenny, you know, whoever who has the power to talk to him and say, what's the deal? Okay, and whoever that manager is, the first person I'm calling, by the way, if I'm the manager, I'm calling all the big boys. I'm not talking on the phone. I'm flying there and having a conversation with them, sitting across from them and saying, hey, what's the deal? You guys just got Tony LaRusso fired. What's your problem? Oh, I, I think Vinny sucks. Vinny, you know, he plays really bad music, and I don't like him. Okay, let's fix this problem. Vinny, Ozzy doesn't like your, t- your taste in music. Well, I don't like his taste in music. Okay, guys, no more music in the clubhouse. That way everybody's happy. Everyone wears headphones. Okay, everybody's happy. You know, I don't like Vinny bringing his son. His son's annoying. He eats all the freaking chicken <laughs> He doesn't leave me any food. Okay, great. You got to take the kid. No more kids in the clubhouse. What, what, those are the types of conversations that a manager has. Okay, guys, there's problems like, hey, so-and-so, Vinny's, Vinny's single. He brings way too many hot girls into the family section. He literally brings all the girls he brings out, all the strippers. Can we please not have Vinny bring strippers to the family section? Please have him sit somewhere else. Okay, guys, Vinny, for anyone who's not married, we're going to sit any tickets that the guys are unmarried, we're going to sit them in third base side instead of the family section. Oh, that's how literally, but that, hold on. That's how literally how major league clubhouses work. That's how petty it is. Oh, I got mad that Vinny, you know, he got the first class seat right after first class. I've been sitting on that seat for 20, you know, 15 years. Why does Vinny get that seat? That's how, this is how you, you spend so much time with players that it could be amazing. But then when it goes bad, guys get on guys' nerves. And your job as a manager and a staff member is to keep those guys motivated and change it up. You know, is it the fans? Okay, it might be the fans. It might be the in two. I'll give you in two thousand five. White Sox fans are going to hate me for this. During the run, when the White Sox fans were booing the White Sox, they were still up in first place. By the way, they're like, "Boo! You guys are going to blow it. You guys are horrible. They're going to catch you guys." Ozzy had a meeting and said, "Guys, let's win this whole thing to prove these idiots wrong." Okay, and they had a rally cry when they went in saying, we're going to win every single game on the road, meaning we're going to win quick. So the White Sox fans never get to see us clinch on the field. Okay, and it's dumb, like, but their whole mindset, even they would say it as a joke and as like, let's win fast enough so they won't see us clinch. And maybe that was like a cliche thing of like, they were motivated by fans getting on their butts. But it's like, how do you switch that around? Again, like if they could have done that this year, the fans are booing you, dude, play to prove them wrong. They're paying the tickets, and again, the fans will come back and they'll love you and they'll do that. But it's like those those are the types of things a manager has to do and a staff to get you going. And you got to know what team you have. People think that Joe Torre was like always Mr. Smooth. No, he knew that that's what his team reacted well to. Okay, if your team reacts well to you being on the field and you know pumping your fists, that's what you react to. Like Ozzy's team was very good to getting thrown under the bus and tough love. 
They all like that abusive stuff. I love you for five seconds and I hug you and then I beat you for another mm -hmm. five seconds. Like they were all great about that. It worked. You need to know what that team is built on. And that's where I want to have those. It's time for those guys to go this offseason, Vinny, and really say, why did I really, why was I failing? Am I a two, am I a two ten hitter? And really find out. Cause again, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt for another season because his, his, he's done it before that after this year, it's like, okay, if you're not doing it in the middle, like if you're not doing it in May and June, I'm finding a way to get out of you or doing it beforehand and saying, we're moving away from you. This is how we're going. Yeah. Junior, awesome. but this is kind of goes to the organization. If you're not putting resources into your organization, because ultimately you should have made this decision before you gave him that seven year deal. Um, you should have done that way beforehand. And now that we got to this point, yeah, you have to have this conversation with Jose and Mancada, but I am glad that you brought this up, this winning mentality, because ultimately I believe, and I've said it on Twitter, I got bashed for it in other groups, but I said, Mancada, he has all the talent in the world with his bat and glove. But what he showed me ultimately in that Cleveland series when it was do or die, I don't think he's a winning player with his mindset. And I, I say that because you had to throw down to third base and he wasn't even at the bag. Not only was he not at the bag, but that ball goes right off his mitt. It's a live ball and he's pouting in a do or, do or die situation. Well, he's, so, he's for, pouting, so he's pouting on that. This is a part where like a baseball artist saying he's pouting because no one in the right mind throws that ball there because most guys that are big leaguers are checked out. But the kid that's behind the plate, he still thinks he has a shot and he's still in it. And that's why Sevi Savala is a guy that, out of all the things that were like negative, he showed life because he literally fought to the last out. And that's the type of attitude that you're like, yeah, Sevi Savala is like still in this game and you're not in it. Like you're making 70 mil. This guy's like making the league minimum. So those are the things that when you're like looking at it from like a baseball analyst, you're like, wait a minute, this is, there's something deeper here than, than Tony. There's something deeper here than like, why are these guys playing this way of just like, Bleh. like literally like, Bleh. like, like, it, and you're right, Chris. And this is why people think that I hate Rick Renteria and I don't. Ozzy Guillen's bench coach manager. When Ozzy, if Ozzy was, if Ozzy was named the manager of the San Diego Padres, the number one option, okay, for to be the bench coach for Ozzy was going to be Rick Renteria. Okay, that's how much Ozzy and we thought about him as a coach. Okay, as a coach. Okay, that's like when you're an uncle and a parent. Way different. That's how much he thought of him as a coach. But as a player, as a manager. He let guys get away for whatever reason, and I don't blame him. He wanted to keep his job, wanted to keep these guys happy. He lost the, 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 the Cubs job. Maybe it was too hard on those guys. Maybe those guys said, get this guy out of here. He's not. He's too mean. You don't know what happened in that area. But he became so nice to these players. Guys, if I start sharing the stories of, like, what those guys did during their Ricky tenure, from getting themselves out of lineups to putting themselves back in the lineups to being, like, I'm not going to show up to spring training days. Like, the list of stuff that happened, you're like, oh, my God. Like, what is this a big league team? OK, and that's why I gave him crap about like they need their daddy to come in and put them in bed. And when the White Sox fans hated me, when I said, guys, they need to lose the right way. This whole thing of like, hi, mom, and my shirt's open down to here. And I'm like running through stop signs and I'm running the the, the day of the Germinator. OK, and the and the Tony La Russa 3-0 swing. OK, was the moment that you said these guys have not they're not on the same page. Why? Tony La Russa could have said, you're taking the next four pitches just because I want to show you that I'm the skipper. And I want to see if you guys are on the same page. When your manager says, you're not stealing anymore. And you're like, okay, cool. Like, I'm, not, I'm there. And you don't go. 
that or your manager saying, hey, guys, we have a 10 o'clock, no drinking because we got a big game tomorrow. Are you going to be the guy that's going to be drinking in his room or are you going to be the guy that's going to go to bed and not do it? These players are the guys that are going to go to the have a team party when they told you not to and, and do it. That's I'm not saying that they did that, but I'm saying like with the running with Tony and then T.A. saying, oh, we, we support Germinator. I'm like, you're, you're, you're being unsubordinate. You're literally going against your, your leader, who's Tony LaRusso, who's the boss of this team, regardless of who cares. He is the manager. So you're not following the rules. So this goes back to the Rick Renteria. Like, Ricky, these guys had so much talent. He didn't hone in on, guys, you have to, like, you know, you have to grind. You're going to struggle. Telling him you got to run the bases hard. You know, when did Ricky ever pull any of those guys saying, you're not running hard enough? Go sit down. Your bench this, would been, this would have been the perfect time. I would give Cairo ultimate respect if he benched. Miguel Cairo there. lost the team. Miguel Cairo, I think he did a great job managing early on. I think that he could have sent a huge wake-up call to everybody. The yeah, first sure. moment one of those guys did that, I would have said, time out, get off the field. Yeah. I, literally, time out, get off the field. That would have shown everybody and said, oh, my God, and just blown everybody's mind because no one's seen that in so long that people yearn for it. Like they talk about Ozzy's time, like, oh, because Ozzy was nut enough, crazy enough to do something like that and be like, I'm, dude, Ozzy was going to fight John Garland. <laughs> but Ozzy, ultimately, you know, they're going to have to make the decision on Johan. I mean, well, they whatever, do. They, they, whatever they, they, they decide, not, if they can make an upgrade, like if Arenado comes free, they want to spend money, get the upgrade. But if not, if you're going to keep them, bring them back next season. You need to go into spring training and say, hey, Berger, we have Berger, Ramos, and Mancada. You guys are going to compete. Yeah. And maybe competition gets the best of Johan, and he's going to show, put those numbers up, or he's not. Ultimately, you can move on, push that money aside, bring up someone with a lesser contract, and that's going to give you more value. But uh, or trade, or, or again, or you can find ways. Trade. Again, that's why the Liam Hendricks and the Giolito, you tell a team and say, hey, if you take Giolito, you have to take Mancada's contract. Like, you, There's ways that you can package it to make it interesting enough. But again, you're right about that. Like you have to bring and change. That's when we talk about culture. Okay. Of like, you need to change that culture. And again, Joanne, I think is a guy like Steven mentioned that they're so scared to go away from because they know if he goes into the right place and this guy blows up, it's going to get back on them and say, Oh my God, we were not able to get the best of him. So again, I think it's a savable situation. Okay. I think if the right guy is brought in, and they buy and he gets them to buy into the system, you can do a lot of damage because I've seen it happen in the past where you might have a guy that's a borderline guy. I'll give you an example. When Ozzy took over in 04, John Garland was a question mark. We don't know about John Garland. He's got an attitude. And Ozzy gave him the, the nickname Hard Guard. First day in spring training, oh, you're a hard guard. He's like, what do you mean? Because Garland used to be like, and he'd be like, you're a hard guard, right? And they had this joking thing, but I was like, I respect you, respect me. What I ask of you, and Ozzy started letting him succeed, and they started trusting each other. And the moment that trust was broken a little bit, when Garland would get the ball and he'd give it to him and Garland would be, like, pouting, Ozzy would – right off the mound, he'd go and say, well, what's your problem? You know what I mean? Like, those are the things that you need to – whoever comes in, if you're going to do that to Moncada, and don't go back. Like, the problem here is that you can't tell Tim Anderson, run, and not tell Andrew Vaughn to run. You can't tell Moncada to do this and then not expect someone else to do that. That's where this team culture, whatever, like next year's slogan should be team because these guys buy so much into the slogans and the power rankings and all that. It should be like team. Like this is what the team means. 
that's where they need to go back to because if they don't, they're going to have to make moves. Because guess what? You think Moncada's bad not being everyday player? Imagine Moncada on the bench. This is why people people wonder why Ozzie Guillen and Nick Swisher did not get along. Ozzie had zero problems with Nick Swisher as a person. Ozzie Guillen had a problem with Nick Swisher as a player because when Ozzie would not play him, Nick Swisher would pout and cry and be on the bench being a big baby. And that, and I was friends with Swisher at the time. And Ozzie had an issue with that. Like, dude, you're ruining my team. And they had a conflict with that. That's when managers have conflict with guys. And he's like, I want this guy out of here. He is ruining my mojo. They need to decide that with, with Moncada if he's going to be with that. The decision is going to be the hard one. That's the big money one. If you get away from him, can you replace him at third? Okay? Because today, if you think Jake Berger's the answer, offensively, you might have the argument, depending on what your Moncada has. Defensively, your team just got way worse. And this is already a really bad defensive team, by the way. So your team just got way, way worse. Like, way, way worse. Because our guy Berger's not very good defensively. Not, not a knock on him personally, but he's not John Moncada. John Moncada can play some third base. No doubt about it. And Vinny, you can say anything about Joan Moncada, good or bad, because you've been with him since the beginning. That's why anybody that 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 stood up for Tony, and that's why you guys on this show, uh, you give you the benefit of the doubt because you don't say dumb things like Moncada sucks. Get rid of him. It's like, wait a minute. Like, what are you talking about? Then he hits. Then he hits four home runs in one game. Oh, he's the greatest player. That like you. You gotta let guys develop. Like this whole thing. Sevy playing everyday catcher. What about Grandal? Like, if he is healthy, he should have the shot to get his job back and be able to play as many games as possible. And then I feel like the lack of, I think Chris touching a good point. I think the lack of competition maybe on this team is something that they need to, you know, figure out. Maybe guys got too comfortable. Who's that? Who's that on your baseball cards? What do you got there, Zim? You, you were talking about Berger and Moncada, and those are just two of my most recent polls. So I had to show off a little That's bit. That's awesome. Again, you know what? I think that Jake Berger, again, I think Jake Berger has value for this team. I think when he came up, he showed that he can hit in the big league level. Okay, I think that you find ways for him to play in. I think that again, I feel like we're we're beating a dead horse here as fans. Meaning, from you guys' standpoint, we went in last year with no second baseman. Okay, and we literally they hit gold with Harrison at his age, the way that he produced in the second half. And now we're talking about doing the same thing with Elvis Andrews. Again, you're fixing a problem. You're fixing a huge leak with a little like you know a little masking tape. The outfield situation, you know. Do you go out and get someone like Brandon Nemo and make the team better and make Eloy an everyday DH and you play Pantera, Pollock, and Nemo? Because I think I think Pollock should come back. I think out of all the disasters, 134 games, which for him, I know White Sox fans don't watch a lot of baseball outside of White Sox baseball, but 134 games for, for Pollock is a lot. Okay. He's usually in the 80s. You know, he was a healthy year for him and he produced at a level where, you know, he didn't have really much around him and he was able to produce he gives you an option at leadoff which again i don't think was utilized for whatever reason okay but it's always an option um again i think that for for Vinny and chris i think next year you don't give moncada that second spot right off the bat you hit him in the bottom and say until you learn how to be able to get that number two spot you're not going to be it you know and again those are the things that you have to just address and not let everybody feel too comfortable but again i think that there's ways to build out but again Who's going to be the right fielder or at this point, left fielder? Who's my second baseman? Okay. Who's playing first base every day? I think Andrew gets offensively better if he plays first. Does have to worry about being in the outfield. 
And how do you fit, fit guys like in, like Cheats and Vaughn? If you fit them, how do you complement them? You know, there's the Larry, you know, kind of black cloud where I think that Larry got played too much early on and that's why people hated him and he produced the way that he did. But again, it was a, it was a need, but those are things that I think Mendick comes back and he's on the team, to be honest with you. I think that he did a great job. I think that he showed he could play short and second and a little bit of third base. So I think that this is hands down the hardest off season in white Sox history in the modern, in the modern era, at least since 1984. My first priority I, I feel is going to be a catcher. Because it's it's the most important position. One hundred percent agree. What do you do with Grandal? Who well, cares? You know how you know how He's you Jake said Taylor at this point, man. You know he how you Jake said. League. I was gonna say, you know how you said you can get, you know, you're gonna have to give up assets to win eventually. Yeah. And with the bad value on Mancada or Grandal, you're probably gonna have to choose one of the two to put an asset in the package. Um, and you might have to give up a guy like Montgomery. Now, I would do that for a guy like Sean Murphy, but he, again, it's about control. And you seen have, have you guys seen McGuire's numbers? Yeah, he's amazing again. Have you guys seen McGuire's numbers? I like the acquisition from the start. It was a great acquisition because you moved two pieces of two teams that didn't have spaces for the guys. They moved them. I did not know why they got rid of him so quickly, knowing that. Grandal might have been injury prone and not knowing what the future held. So this is where I don't, I don't knock Rick Hahn on a lot of things. Again, his, his book is still open, but I, I think his best move was the, the Eloy move, the being able to flip Quintana for Eloy and Cease. I still think the Cubs are crying over that every single day. They, they got, they got, you know, they got taken. It happens. But I think one of his worst moves to this day, even including the Moncada, I'm not even putting the Moncada one, was the Grandal move, not because of Grandal's money, because it's not Grandal's fault, is because if you had Sevi Saval on the minor leagues and you had seven other catchers and you had a James McCann, who maybe it's not the guy that you signed, but did you have to go and spend elite offensive number payout for a catcher as to be your main player? Did you have to do that? Like Grandal's getting paid better than AJ. He's getting paid. He's the greatest paid catcher in White Sox history. So he basically brought him in like he was going to be the Buster Posey in the early 2000s production-wise. By doing that, you hindered yourself in other positions, and now you're stuck there. When you had nine guys, people are like, well, Sevi Savala was in the minor leagues. Well, obviously the scouts didn't think he was going to be that good because they went and signed Grandal. If you think Sevi Savala is going to be the guy that he is today, you don't sign Grandal. You're like, nope, we're riding with Sevi. He'll hit, you know, he'll hit 270. 260 might hit 10 home runs we'll ride with him and that's just that's baseball because when you look at producing catchers there's there's a handful there's salvi you're not gonna you're there's not that many guys out there that you're gonna be like this is a big time producing catcher and unfortunately Grandal gets hurt now it's exposed now it's considered bad money that moves on the that move is on that hook of ooh, this might be one of the ones that is in that dark side of not very good moves that were made by the side but again Grandal is producing the path i think if he's healthy he will come back, but again, is your team better with him catching, with him DHing? Time will tell. Your team is better with him on a different team. I'll tell you that much because Eloy Jimenez is your better DH, and if he's not DHing, you got MVP to be your DH. And as far as your catching situation goes, you had James McCann and Sebi Zavala in house, and that should have been enough for this team. 
I was not a fan of the Grand Doll signing from the start. I convinced myself to like it. I have been one of his biggest critics because I'm a catching guy. It was it was the position I played, so it was the posi- it's the position now that I look the most closely at. I think a lot of us are guilty of that as fans because who didn't play little league here? But I think you make a lot of really good points there, and it's really frustrating to look at because it's money that could have been spent elsewhere that this team constantly wants to justify the money moves with the production on the field and it almost never balances and it's like stop worrying about the money and start worrying about the product and it just it never seems to find the right balance and i'm sorry i, I took that no no no, no 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 by the way i'll give you an example do you guys remember who the 2004 catcher was for the chicago white sox 2004 chris guy. widger no he was no that was pretty widger He's a very good prospect, very good player. He actually went on to have a, a pretty decent career afterwards. I don't remember. It's on the tip Miguel, of my tongue. Miguel Olivo. Ah, yes. 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 Probably one of the toughest guys ever, but was not a very good defensive catcher because he was learning, and anything they would tell him, he would do the opposite. Okay? Great offensive numbers, but again, Miguel Olivo did what Miguel Olivo wanted. And they said, in order for us to win – we need to have a catcher that can actually catch, not only catch the ball. And again, not saying not not saying that people always think about can the guy throw somebody out? AJ couldn't throw out anybody out. You know, he no. wasn't the greatest, but he could call a game and command a game, command yes. the respect, command the. You know, it's funny because so we went on vacation. The, when we got close to Dylan C's, we went on this trip where White Sox fans go to Cancun, and Ozzy got invited, and then all of us family members bought a ticket and went with him and in the trip McCann was was one of the players and it was McCann and Cease and we had a relationship to McCann beforehand through a friend of ours so we were obviously hanging out with McCann Cease was there and just watching the McCann and Dylan the Cease relationship we're like man this is the type like James McCann is a guy that's not taking three extra rounds of batting practice to stay there and talk to his his catchers you know the catcher and the pitchers and that bond and like I'm here to carry you kid and you can tell that that bond was there. So we're like, man, that's really big when you're building on a young pitching staff on that catcher, you know, pitcher combination. And we're like, man, they have something special there. So when we saw them go away from that. We're like, man, like they really must really think about. And we've known Randolph for a long time. He's a great offensive catcher. But we were like, man, this this move is very, very um, aggressive in, at the time. And this is one that's going to be out there for the time to be. Because, again, when you look at the, at the DH situation, and if you look at the lineups, he actually didn't DH that much. Grandal didn't DH that much, as much as you would have thought he did. He was either in the lineup as a as a catcher, or he wasn't at all. Is because there's other options at the DH position, including Gavin Sheets, that some people think that he might be a better spot, might be, give you a better at bat at this moment than he did. So that's one that, and again, do, and this is something that knowing Jerry, it might be hard for him because he already did it with Dallas. As a failure as a team, I think the fans are owed some money being eaten. I really do. Like, unless you go and sign a huge free agent, meaning like you go and spend, you know, 35, you know, you sign Correa, make T the short, you know, second baseman, and you sign Correa to be your shortstop for two years and you give him, you know, 45 million a year. I think that you might have to eat somebody's money. You might have to eat a combination of money and show people, hey, we're here. We're listening to you. We're releasing guys. Again, we're 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 making the team better, dude. The 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 the, the, 
the Cleveland Guardians got rid of Framil Reyes. Yeah. Like the guy was like the best home run hitter the year before. And he literally did not fit the profile how they play baseball. Meaning the only guy that was not running out of the box was Framil Reyes. It was like either home run or swing or miss. Because I watched every Guardians game. And I was like, there's no way they're going to get rid of him. There's no way. But you knew that the team might be better with somebody else in that spot because he created a clog. And they said, you know what? You're done. We're, you're out of here. You're not adapting to what we want. We're moving on. We, this might come back in three, four years. We might regret this, but we're not We're not putting the team's benefit in front of you. I think that this year with the Sox, I think we might have to see some of those moves of like, there's some hard decisions coming along. I'm saying, hey, you know, we, we dude, Arolis Chapman, the Yankees are thinking about releasing Arolis Chapman. You know, he might become a free agent. The guy was closing World Series two years ago like it was nothing. Those are the types of things that this hard teams, that teams have to make decisions on that, you know, you might scratch your head, but the big teams do that. And the Sox need to decide how they be a team or not. We're definitely going to have to get into that this offseason. But uh, for one thing's for sure, we got to move on and talk about this last week of baseball. And we just create a pick to lick instead of our pick to click. And uh, yeah, I mean, decent week in uh, San Diego. But before that, wasn't so much. Um, I'm sure Joe's got the save pick to click or pick to licks for us. I know I had Grandal. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, Yazi, uh, I we appreciate you giving us so much time tonight. Um, I know that we've give we've taken we've taken so much of your time. We can't we can't imagine uh, you giving us so much more. You just are awesome every time you come on the show. Um, so we just want to give you a, a couple a couple minutes to talk about what's going on with Gian's world. Uh, you guys always put out great stuff. Uh, we always follow you on Twitter. For those of you who don't follow uh, Junior on Twitter, you can follow him at Ogi and Junior. And follow Gian's world as well. So Ozzy, talk a little bit about what's coming up, uh, what you guys got planned for the offseason and, and what you got going on for the playoffs. You know what? We uh for the season, we obviously we have our version in Spanish of which now is, involves every sport because we found it really funny when Ozzy talks about other sports, or we ask him like who you have in this game, and he has like no idea. Like we have the one coming up um where he talks about the Tua situation and yeah. talking about like common sense versus like what a team tells you. And it's going to be really funny because he's like, you don't need a doctor to tell you someone's messed up. <laughs> like you've been around the game long enough that you're like, that guy's hurt, you know? Um, but then we're also covering base as much as possible. You know, in our social media, we try to stay away as much as possible from like White Sox content, but it like literally comes back and it's because Ozzy's doing the pre and post game show. And it's like the White Sox this year were like literally probably the best you know, there was just so much crap happening that you couldn't stay away from it. So, like, we just try to provide baseball content, but again, it comes back to our local teams as much as possible. So, we're just making as much content as possible as we are. We're sharing obviously our picks, um, and then Gaines Baseball is basically in, in the in the channel, and then Gaines World, which is a show. We basically try to talk about giving Ozzy's perspective on the game of baseball. So, you guys have a, you guys have a view. Okay, and, and I, I enjoy every article. I'm a fan of the show because you guys have a view of the game, a fan's perspective. You have an opinion of it. There's a spot in this world for Ozzy's opinion. When Ozzy gives an opinion, it comes with 40 years of Major League Baseball experience. Regardless if you think it's right or wrong, it, that's it's got some weight on it. When I share something like today, when I said, I think it's BS that you have to interview Miguel Cairo for a position as a manager, Okay, 
you already had the guy managing. You either know or don't know. It's like you're dating someone for six months. Do you know if she's the one or not? You don't need to like interview her and be like, hey, do I like you or not? And people are like, oh, Ozzy, don't be mean about other people's positions. I work, a, I work in corporate America. Interviewing for corporate America and interviewing for jobs is not the same as interviewing for a major league baseball manager position. I don't care how much corporate they try to make it. It's not the same type of job. Number one, no one's applying for it. People think that Ozzy, people are like, Ozzy, are you going to, are you going to go for the White Sox manager's job? I'm like, he doesn't apply for it. Ozzy doesn't go in and tell Jerry, Hey, I want to be the manager. It's like, you're there and you're there. Like you're picked or you're not picked. Okay. So no one's applying for it. Teams go and get you. So when teams are saying, well, we're going to interview 17 guys, it's BS. You have your top three guys. You might have another two that might, you know, come in like as a dark horse and impress you. You know, if, if you have not been thinking about who the manager is going to be since June, you haven't been watching White Sox because I love Tony La Russa and I'm like, hmm, if Tony gets sick, who's going to be the manager? Like, le- legitimately, I would be like, you know, if Tony gets tired and says, I don't want to do this. I, I literally thought there was a part of me that Tony La Russa was going to get up one day on the podium and say, I don't want to manage this team anymore. I'm, I'm done. I'm done getting booed. I'm done getting called names. I'm done. Like, I am absolutely done with this. I don't need this. I'm done. And walk away. And at, at that point, you have to be ready of, like, who's the next guy to step up? So, like, when they're doing this whole thing about – so we're trying to bring in our shows that perspective of trying to give Ozzy more time than he has in the pre- and post-game show. Because, again, he, and in, in that show, he can be as open as possible. But let's be honest, it's the White Sox pre- and post-game show. Can't come up and be like, this team was horrible. You know, like, as much as he does it, you can't just go completely rogue because it is the channel for the team. So we try to give him a different perspective and talked about things that he might experience – Okay, like this week, we're going to talk about like if you are someone like the new manager coming in and you do sign Jose Abreu, but you think that he should be a platoon player or how do you talk to T.A. if someone's a new player and you have to convince them to hit six instead of leadoff? How do you have that conversation? Like, how do you have a conversation like we're going to talk about this week? How he, he had to have it with Jose Reyes. The Marlins signed Jose Reyes when they had Hanley Ramirez, and he had to convince Hanley to play third and not make it an issue. Like, how do you handle that? And that was like a whole saga until, you know, Hanley was traded. But like, how do you handle that? You know, like, how do you handle Grundahl and telling him, hey, dude, you're a great player, but you're not my everyday catcher now. You might be my kind of platoon guy. So that's a perspective that in our show, you only get from a guy like Ozzy. Like no one, unless I had Joe Madden or any other manager in the league, it's very hard to have that perspective. So we have that unique kind of thing of him coming in and like sharing that. I think fans deserve that. Um, and just fans getting to know there's you guys are probably the youngest group of fans that are not like analytically moronic. And that's when I believe of like people that think that numbers are just it and they're like, when people think that Ozzy doesn't care about exit velocity, for example, he just thinks it's dumb when you're like, it's a good out. There's no such thing as a good out. You're an out. Right, exactly. Like, there's no such thing as like, oh, he hit the ball 200 miles per hour, but it's okay. It's an out. It's like, no, he's like, no, I want to get hits. So it, it, for the younger crowd is being able to show that perspective and see that there's a, still a space and time for things to happen in baseball. That it, It's wrong to bunt in the first inning if your team is offensively built. But if you have a runner on second, and the, the rules in the game say if you score one before the other team and you literally have two guys that drive in runs, why wouldn't you punt if you are the home team? Like, 
those are the things we're trying to show in the show. So again, Ogie and Junior, thank you guys for having me. Always a pleasure talking baseball with you guys. I know that it's been a hard year for you guys. You guys did great, great stories. And I'm looking forward to the more of the stuff you guys are going to share because I think it's going to be interesting. I think that even this managerial candidate, I'm kind of sad that Fred Enrique and Ron Karkovice are not being considered or Roberto Martin Paco because literally every name has been put on the list at this moment. Yeah. People have asked me, who do you think the manager is going to be? This morning, I thought it was going to be Joe Espada. After the comments that were made today, I'm like leaning on Girardi. I really don't know. I still think Egypt Brzezinski might be a dark horse. Who knows? Jerry calls Ozzy in the middle of the night, and Ozzy's a manager, and I don't even know in the morning because he probably won't <laughs> until he, he's on the press conference, so we don't talk him out of it. Who knows? Like, literally, it's going to be, and again, it's going to be the hardest White Sox offseason to ever happen, and we just got to sit back. And I want to know one thing, though, and I want to ask you guys that question. Do you think that Rick Khan has a – what is those things that he used to have called? He used to have the, the public forum. Where uh, he used to have the town hall. The town hall. Does he have one this year? I hope he does, but I I, I think he yeah, does. I don't know. I don't, I don't even know how that works. I know that he used to call people like Vinny Parisi, like, you know, your Twitter at Vinny Parisi, and, like, you got to ask him questions, and he'd call you out, and he had, like, receipts on people. I would be stunned if they don't after this year. So is that like a White Sox thing, or is that like a, a like a, like an NBC thing? Because I'm still debating. I feel I like any – any team that failed to meet expectations has to have that. Like, the Giants Wait, I, out- I, just, I just know that – KW would have never had fans. Fans are not worthy of asking him anything baseball wise. And that was, he used to hate doing the, the Q and a and fan fest. Like he's just very different. So I always thought that it was very interesting that the white Sox would have these type of, you know, cause I wasn't used to that. Now mm-hmm. it's very interesting because obviously it's not, it's not La La Land anymore. You, you know, you're like, you might not win 82 games. Like, so I was wondering if he would have it. I would want to get your perspectives because obviously you guys know more about that than I do. If he would have it again, I would think so. Yeah, the White Sox PR team is super on top of that stuff, and I I'd be stunned if there's nothing out there. But uh, I mean, I want to hear what Rick has to say. Hopefully, hopefully he gives us honest answers. That's what I think what we all want. Um, but anyway, uh, Junior can't thank you enough. Uh, we thank you so much for all the support all the time. You've worn our hats on your show. You've talked about us on your show. Just it's it means the world to us, all the support. And uh, we can't wait to have you on uh, again next season or in the off season when big moves happen. So, Junior, thank you so much. Have a great night. Thanks for giving thank us almost guys. two hours of your one. time. Anytime, we'll talk man. Soon. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. All right. Thank thanks, you. brother. Ozzy Gee and Junior, everybody, always bringing the fire and the knowledge the fact that the the manager search is on it's it's going to be wild boys um you guys all you guys all know that the next manager i don't think anyone knows but anyway well, i know exactly who it's going to be but i'm not going to tell you guys until he's hired well they just I, I know. it's reported <laughs> they just name dropped beltron in the conference so it's that's going to be interesting well that would be interesting that would be you know if if people were worried about hiring Hinch as a cheater, they got to be worried about hiring Beltron, right? That's for sure. But it's it's it's, in, it's a part of talk because, like what Ozzy told us before, is you know Han wanted Hinch, so if he wanted a cheater, well, no surprise, we're gonna go, go probably I, get one. I want the Sox personally to follow what the Sox, or excuse me, what the team on the other side did, the Cubs. 
where they hired a very good game manager to be their manager. And I'm not saying that AJ Pruszynski is necessarily the guy the way that David Ross was the guy for the Cubs. But I think finding a former player who is somebody who knows the game inside and out in, in that way, I think would be Willie very Harris. good. Move. Willie Harris would be awesome. Honestly, he knew the game. He had a I green light on every single pitch and he picked and chose his moments to steal because he knew the game so well. And, and he knew his ability within the game. But, and it's like, and you could take, and, and Vinny, correct me if I'm sounding absolutely ridiculous, but you could take the championship pedigree comments and just mean that it's a World Series champion. It doesn't have to necessarily be a guy that's been a manager forever, right? Or am I looking into that too much? I also think they don't have to have won a ring. Like right. a championship pedigree, like, do you think there's players in is Mike Trout a championship pedigree player? Yes. Well, Han, Han said is. Han only <laughs> said contending organization that they have to come from. He didn't say anything about championship on this last um on this press conference today. The championship perspective came from, you know, the offseason for Tony. This press conference, you know, press con this presser, sorry presser he said contending organization that this person has to come from so you that's open for perspective now yeah i mean there's so many people you can go you know with schilt and beltron and mattingly there's so many guys you can go after for me lots of i I wrote about two years ago the guy that i wanted and sandy almar jr i wrote about it in the article i presented it on that show if you want to take a cheap shot to Cleveland, there's your shot to take it, give him the money and get him out of there. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. There's a lot of good names out there. Um, it's going to be exciting. Um, there's lots of options to ponder. Mm-hmm. Some of them are tasty, tasty enough to give them a good old lick. Like we did last week when we made our picks to lick. Yeah, so due to the nature of this team and their free fall from grace, I just turned it on upside down last week, and I'm like, you know what? Instead of picks to click, let's talk about picks to lick. The guys who think that are going to suck the most ass. What did I say? A pick to lick ass last week, I think pick I said. Lick ass. <laughs> so we're gonna, we, we picked last guys. Last week we picked guys that we thought were going to absolutely have horrible weeks. Um, I wrote it down, but I accidentally deleted it here. So I know who I picked and I know, you know, we can go around the table. I think you guys all remember who you picked. Maybe, maybe not. Anyway. I'm pretty um, sure I picked the whole team if that was allowed. I think you picked Dylan Cease to be funny. Actually, I think you might be right. And you are in contention because you suck. Yeah. He was terrible. You're 100% right. And I picked Mojada, who was awesome. (laughs) <laughs> I picked Moncada. Think like, oh, of course it's gonna be Moncada. He sucks ass. And yeah, you're right. You were, you did, Zim. You did. You picked Dylan Cease. Yeah, I think who so. this I, week. I'm pretty sure I said something innings. along the lines of like it would be the most White Sox thing ever yeah. for this guy to dominate all year and then just blow up when he's in Cy Young contention. Yeah, he, yeah, he wasn't as bad as it looked because he got to the sixth and that's no, when he, he fell apart. 
Yeah, you're absolutely right, Gonzo. He was not nearly as bad as his stat line looks. But his but stat line, just for the record, just for the record, his stat line, he went five innings, four earned runs. He gave up two homers, which is not very cease-like, and he walked four guys. So um, that's a, the whole, you definitely get the nominations in. Yeah, the whole point of the pick was, again, like, wouldn't it be hilarious if just this guy who has been on a tear all season in line to make his 32nd start of the year, the only player on the team who it looks like is going to actually play in every game he was expected to play in, just shit the bed. It was his second worst start of the season, and you nailed it. Oh, my God. And I went with Lucas Giolito, who was actually pretty good in his start, which is, you know, that would, that's exactly what would happen. You can't make this stuff up. And and Vinny, did you take AJ Pollock? Is that right? No, I took Moncada, who had a couple home runs, elite defensive third. Like Moncada was awesome this last. I'm watching the games, and every time he did, he had the one three hit game. I was like, every time, no matter what, the opposite happens when I pick it, and it's all luck. It's like Moncada's been terrible all season. Cease has been great all season. Then this week they go. Pfft. Oh, Gonzo, who did you pick? It was was it Pollock? Grandal. Oh, Grandal. Okay, you win. Uh, pick to lick. I mean, Cease wasn't great, but Grandal wasn't good. Grandal went a whopping uh, two for thirteen, batting one fifty four, with four strikeouts and zero runs and one RBI. <laughs> If they were equally as bad, Cease gets the tiebreaker to not win pick to lick just because of the body of work. Grandal, Grandal has five home runs on the season, I'm pretty sure, which is yeah, just terrible. Moncada had so, more in the COVID year. So in line with the entire – the rest of the, uh, the, the season, Gonzo even wins when we flip the tables and we make it pick to lick. This guy can't freaking lose. So – um, maybe we'll do pick to lick all, all year instead of pick to click next year. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, there'll be much more optimism at the top of the year, but I just thought it was fun to turn things upside down. And can we also point fun. out that it's right in line for me to pick a guy who was right there and Gonzo just edged me out at the last second? He like did all it year, every man. Year. Every year I'm going, or every week rather, I'm going and going, man, I think I got it this week. And then I look at Gonzo's play and I'm just like, ah. Oh, <laughs> and uh and we got yeah, a I, normally Mon- normally Mancada would be solid pick but for the fact in september I, I think going into that week he had like 300 batting average and 900 ops or something like that i was just like yeah he's gonna he's gonna keep on rolling here he's he's got something to prove at the end here yeah, it's got something to, something to prove for sure. And uh, shout out, shout out real quick to Ozzygian Jr. who just retweeted the show and said he loves pick the lick. So <laughs> I, I think we gotta we gotta roll with that again. Maybe maybe on and off next year as a segment that just came off the top of the head. Um, I can't believe it's a season finale, boys. We're like towards the the end of, of this insane year, and uh, we do have the guaranteed take yet still to talk about. Um, and then we'll just talk about jams and whatever, Vinny. I'm I, I'm feeling I'm feeling jams. We can talk about jams again because that has been in my head all week, Vinny. I want you to know that I've told everybody I know, like so. So this co-host on my podcast, right? Like he's apparently this newfound fan of jam, and they're like jam. 
I'm like, yeah, like jelly. And they're like, what? It's a you. conversation starter, man. You're my icebreaker. Thank it you. Is. And every now and then I find a new thing that's like a phase. And right now it's jam. I, ju- I realized I went to Door County, Wisconsin uh, over the summer. And, you know, shout out Door County. You've seen me wear this hat on the show a couple times this season. Oh, yeah. But um, they have like a bunch of different places. They grow cherries and stuff, but they make all sorts of different kinds of jams. And I found the jalapeno jam that the I, one I was telling you about. Yeah, I have like a jalapeno jam. It's over there. I have a couple different kinds and I'm excited to bust those out next week. So, yeah, going to be a big jam week in the or it's going to be a big jam winter in the Parisi household. Vinny, there is a thing called bacon jam. And if you mix the bacon yeah. jam with the jalapeno jam, it is oh, fantastic. Yeah, in a burger. It sounds delightful. Yeah, I, that I need delightful. This. I need this in my life. Man, now I'm hungry, man. <laughs> we do this my... every show. We're we're fifty percent a White Sox podcast and fifty percent a food podcast at this point, and I've just grown to accept it. Absolutely. I want some bona beef bites. Shout out to the White Sox. I have to get I have to wait till next season to get them again. But oh, I'm gonna put up, put up pictures of food just because. Really, man? Vinny, Vinny, did you get a chance to try the Euro nachos ever? I never tried the Euro nachos. I'm a bum. (laughs) Well, hey, if you win the tickets to the White Sox game tomorrow that we mentioned earlier in the show, whoever's listening out there could uh, end up getting a chance to taste some of these amazing food items. Yeah, and if you are watching, Vinny Parisi, go to his Twitter, at Vinny Parisi. Vinny asked you to comment with next year's rotation. And the comment we like the best or the one that we agree with the most will win those tickets for tomorrow. I'll give you my starting five just as an example sure. of what you could have of what you could give Vinny Parisi. You could literally quote what I'm about to say right now. And it's an entry to win these tickets. All right. So you got your ace of Dylan Cease. You got your second pitcher of Lucas Giolito. You got Lance Lynn in the three slot, and you got who cares and who cares at four and five, because let's be real, this team is not doing much next year either. I don't think Lucas Giolito's in the – I don't think he's here. That's my hot take. Wow. Right I mean, there. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, but as I as I told Ozzy Jr. earlier, I think that Rick Hahn is so intent to hold on to these players and prove that he didn't make a mistake like he did with – Chris Sale, like he did with Fernando Tatis Jr., like he did with Lord knows how many other guys. He's just he's he's so determined to prove that he's right this time around that it took a severe medical emergency to get Tony Russa away from this club. And whether he was a part of that or not, like he was he was determined to ride it to the end. And I think that much was evident in his comments today. Um, So I'm sorry, Joe, I don't know the topic for this next segment. So I'm just going to set it up as uh, I made some spicy takes there and Joe and Gonzo agreed with their different spicy takes. But we're going to talk about yet another spicy take in this week's guaranteed take.
Yeah, this week's guaranteed take. I didn't tell you guys what it was because I just wanted to throw it on the fly. But Vinny had a good idea, and I think it's a great place to start for this week's guaranteed take because it's very on point with our last episode of the season. What do you want to see this offseason? What would be your ideal offseason? So we're going to start there. Zim, I know you just talked about you don't think this team's going anywhere, but for you, what would you like to see this offseason to turn that mindset around? The first thing I would like to see this offseason is a new owner of the team. <laughs> I'm talking ideal offseason. We are talking full-on MLB The Show 23 franchise rebuild mode. New ownership at the top, right? Whether you like it or not, uh, Reinsdorf has had his hands on this team for long enough to show us what he's capable of. As much as we want to believe that he would do the same thing that he did with the Bulls, with the AK move, finally getting rid of Garpax after all those years of just absolute inept front office management. The thing is, we've seen with Reinsdorf time in and time out, these teams are investments to him. They are not businesses to him. They are investments. And as long as one of these investments is making him money, the other one can suffer. And he's done it over and over and over again in the time he's owned these two teams. So I want to see this team go to a new owner. I want to see somebody who actually cares take over ownership of this team, start putting their money where their mouth is. And instead of saying we want to win and just going and buying the quote unquote best players, because I want to be very clear. He has not been cheap. He has invested his money in this team. It has not been invested wisely. I think the money needs to start being placed where it actually matters. It needs to stop being spent on 35 year old catchers. It needs to stop being spent on, you know, how 150 year old first baseman, you know, unfortunately we're going to need to see a Shohei Otani. We're going to need to see an Aaron judge. We're going to need to see some help in so many different areas, but what needs to happen for me to have like my perfect idea of this off season is just a total overhaul from head to toe of this, of this organization, the roster that they put on the field could be identical to this year. As long as they made systemic movement and change towards a better future for this team, because right now the future that I'm seeing for this white Sox team is exactly what I've seen for the last 20 years that I've watched this team. It's, Constant mediocrity with the occasional flare-up here and there. And I want to see a competitor. I want to see a team that's taken seriously across the league the way the White Sox were before this season started. I want to see that be consistent. I want to see uh, a president of baseball operations and a general manager who are aligned in their ideas, who are not bringing in managers that were questioning who decided this, who signed off on this. Oh, this is clearly this guy's guy. And this guy's just being told to go along with it. No. In, uh, in what other organization is that acceptable? It's not, it's just not. So there's my rant for the night. I know I seem to have one every week at this point and it's my last one for the season, but I want to see a true systemic change to this organization in order for me to ultimately be happy with where they're headed. 
whatever players you put on the field don't matter unless the culture in the organization is truly dedicated to winning and not just turning a profit. I love that, Zim. And I think it's a, a really poignant point of view. And, you know, in terms of me, my ideal offseason, I'm with you. I'd love to see a slight ownership change. I know there's been rumors out there, lots of different things being reported that there's going to be a shakeup, that there's not going to be a shakeup. Whatever happens, I'd like to see at least a majority ownership change. Um, in addition to that, I'm probably, I know a lot of White Sox fans feel this way. And I'm not saying it just because he played for the White Sox and won a World Series title here. I would love to see A.J. Pruszynski become the manager of the White Sox because of his mindset, because of the way he approaches the game. A.J. Pruszynski is the no-bullshit guy that I think this team needs. Um, Everyone's like, oh, it's going to be Robin Ventura all over again. Did you guys see Robin Ventura as a manager? He was not a hard-ass at all. I mean, he got his ass kicked by Nolan Ryan, who was like 75 years older than him. So at the end of the day, I'd love to see AJ step in there. Uh, I hate to say this, but I, I would love to see Jose Abreu go somewhere else. Um, I love him as a player. I love him. I think he's one of the best White Sox ever. Um, but I think he needs to go somewhere else to have the chance to win. The White Sox should do him that that service. I don't think it's here right now. I honestly don't. And I think you let Andrew Vaughn You let Andrew – what's that? I'm sorry to cut you off. I, I would love to see Jose Abreu in Philadelphia. I really would. I think yeah, it'd be amazing. He's got a lot of good fits. Philadelphia is one of those teams. I just love to see him to get a chance to win somewhere else and then give Andrew Vaughn the chance to play first base. You can If you don't trade Gavin Sheets or Vaughn, you can let them kind of platoon at first. Obviously, Vaughn is your your go-to guy, but you could you know DH him now and then and let it Sheets, Sheets play. Um you're going to give, you know, if you don't trade Aloy, you're going to see him a lot at DH too. Uh, you know, I'd love to see Tim Anderson batting ninth. I know I hate, you know, I mean, he'll never, I mean, I don't know if he'll never agree to it, but I'd say you get a, you get a leadoff hitter at the top, AJ Pollock. I think he's a leadoff hitter. You let Tim Anderson bat ninth and then you put the power in the middle. That's my ideal offseason. I'd love to see them maybe get another starting pitcher, uh, maybe Trevor Bauer, depending on what happens with all the MLB stuff, if he clears his name. And um, I, I really think, like, maybe we do trade Liam Hendricks. I, I do think that's something to think about. I love Liam. I think he's a great closer. But uh, I think Ozzy made a good point earlier that you can get good return for those guys. And we have seen that happen a lot throughout the league. So that's kind of my ideal offseason. I know it's a long-winded answer, but um, I still think even if we do everything right that I just said, and I could not, I'm not like saying right or wrong, but I do think whatever, if that happens, I still think this team probably is an 85 win team, but I love the mindset of AJ and that's what I want to see. Um, Vinny, let me toss it to you real quick. Uh, what's your ideal off season? I would evaluate every single person that makes decisions for this team. And that includes Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams. Obviously, they already are changing the manager. Uh, that includes the training staff. I think everything that's gone on with this team, whether it was Tony's decision, whether it was Ethan Katz's decision, whether it was the training staff's decision, 
to let Kopech continue to pitch that one day where he was out there, and then he had knee surgery just a couple weeks later, that's a disgrace. That's a guy who has an arm that could make $200 million because it's so talented. He could be Dylan Cease on crack. I truly believe that. And you risk that. And same thing with Luis Robert. The brother was literally out there swinging with one hand. I mean, it was like, it was one of the most Bush League things I've ever seen. Yeah, that was So as far as that, that needs a complete overhaul. The entire organization needs an overhaul for anybody that makes a decision. I believe they're going to hire a manager. If Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams don't hit on somebody that is quote unquote their guy, then they're done in my, I mean, they already should be done in my opinion, but you know, for other reasons, but they ultimately didn't get a chance to add like a final manager. Like they chose Ricky Renteria to be a babysitter when it was time to win. They did not get to choose their own manager. This is going to be their opportunity unless something crazy happens with Jerry again, but this is their opportunity to do that. Hopefully they do. I would, beef up the analytics department they're dead last in the league and i'm not saying they should just go be a bunch of computers like the tampa bay rays but it should be a mix of both they thought that would happen with tony it didn't and i would look for another really good starting pitcher uh, i do think they're going to bring back Gilito. i don't think there's any way he's gone i do believe andrew vaughn and liam Hendricks are gone and i think they'll bring back jose abreu um, I'm not saying that's my ideal off season, but I'm not even going to say anything against it because I legitimately think all those things are going to happen. It doesn't matter what I think. And you work on the bullpen. How's Garrett Crochet going to fit in? Is Michael Kopech a reliever? Is he a starter? Does he become a closer? There are lots of different ways to go about it. Um, is Liam Hendricks worth keeping if he's not even the best closer in the division anymore for the money? I don't know. We'll see. I think it, what he returns could be a lot. A team like the Dodgers might grossly overpay for him. They overpaid for Kimbrel. And what would they yeah. pay for? What would they pay for freaking Liam Hendricks? So my ideal offseason would be to shore up second base, stop having corner outfielders, corner infielders play the outfield. There are okay enough players out there to sign, and it'd be really nice to see them make one huge move. Like, go out yeah. and do something crazy. Have Trey Turner play second base. Oh, trade Colson Montgomery in a package to acquire Shohei Otani. You know, do some Andrew Vaughn, Colson Montgomery, Michael Kopech, plus others for Shohei Otani. I think, like, stuff like that, a big move like that would tell people that the White Sox are serious about winning. And yeah. I thought that was a da- the Dallas Keuchel DFA did that for me. They were like, we're a serious organization right now. We're trying to win. I'm not sure that, you know, cutting Moncada and cutting Grendel and trading Lucas Giolito, even though in his last like six or seven starts, he had like a three point whatever ERA. If he could be your number five next year, that's really awesome. And, you know, Cease is your guy. I love Kopech. And I think Lynn was good in the second half of this year. Sands the guardian start. But, and even then the offense and defense failed them in that game. But that's my ideal offseason. The philosophy of everything needs to be looked at, reviewed, and overhauled where they deem necessary, including someone like Eloy. I would keep Eloy. He has um, 50 home run potential, right? And that guy needs to be in your lineup as much as possible. You DH him. Uh, PZ says, didn't Otani just sign a one-year deal? Yeah, one year, $30 million, But he's under control for two more years, which... Yeah, that gives him a big trade chip. 
he's a big trade chip. And if the White Sox succeed with him, I mean, what is the White Sox window beyond 2025 anyway? If you trade for two years of Otani, like, yeah, you're going for it. I like you live and die with this core in 2023, 2024, and 2025. So, and then, you know, if you suck in 2024, you could trade Otani and get stuff back for him again. Like, I think there's no foul in trading for Otani. I think there's so many good things that could come from it. For $30 million next year, you're getting a player that is going to have a sub three ERA. 30 plus home runs and 100 RBIs, 15 stolen bases. I mean, he's better individually than every player on the White Sox besides Dylan Cease. And his numbers are comparable to Dylan Cease. He'll be top five in Cy Young too. So that's my stance on the whole thing. I just hope the offseason brings a whole new energy into next season. Because we were negative about the team even going into the season. We thought they'd win a lot of games and win the division by default because we didn't expect the Guardians to go 20-3 and in their last 23 games. You know, yeah. we thought 85 wins could win the White Sox the division this year. You know, the Guardians overperforming contributed to what happened this season as well. But, you know, make us feel better about the team next season than we did coming into this season. In a way, looking back, we should have saw this coming. Yeah, and, and Gonzo, before I toss it to you, I want to pull up an, uh, the new advertising campaign the White Sox are putting out for the 2023 season tickets. This they they ran this before the playoffs as well, and there were other players included on this. There were players on here like Jose Abreu. Um, I believe there was a version of this with Moncada. Um, I think Eloy was on a version of this. I find it very interesting. This is I literally just pulled this off Facebook like two minutes ago. It's TA and Hendricks. Does that tell you that these guys are safe and that everyone else is not? Quick roundtable on it. Maybe I'm looking too much into it, but I find it interesting that these are the two guys. No. These guys are the fire for this club. That's all. They're the guys that the fans relate the most to, and that's why they're on it. Because right now this – sorry. I'm. I'm it's going to get longer. Sorry, but this – this team has alienated itself from its fan base so much that these are the only two guys that fans relate to at this point in time because they're the most fiery. They're the most passionate. They're the only two that seem to give a shit when this team loses. So I think that's all it is. Yeah, I'm probably looking into it too much, but I, I saw that and I just figured it was worth bringing up. Um, Chris Gonzalez, your ideal off season for the White Sox. Go. Well, first off, when you bring up that p- ticket package, um, for me, look, I'm fielding offers for everybody. See how I can make this team better. Ultimately, though, with their mindset that both of those guys have, we've seen Tammy walk off the field of dreams game. We know the mentality he brings to the field. Same thing with Liam Hendricks being the reliever of the year a year ago and we know how fired up he gets. He's one of the best closers of the game. I'm likely not to give either of those two up at the end of the day, but any deal can change that for me. Um, but again, okay. So my ideal off season, granted, I don't know, you know, I'm going to tell you the layout I have at the moment, but that can change as soon as I see some guaranteed names hitting the market. Um, but again, this press concert or this presser on said that he can't throw money at the problems this off season. 
that disappoints me to hear that. But let's just say I didn't hear that. I'm going into this offseason right now. Um, I'm definitely signing Brandon Nemo, starting him in right field. Right field to left is going to go Nemo, Robert, Pollock. When June hits, I'm bringing Colas up, sliding him to right field. Nemo's going to go to center because, I mean, yes, I know you can argue the speed and the glove of both Robert and Nemo, but Robert doesn't have the arm, and I need Nemo in center with the arm, and I'm moving Robert to left field. Um, across the diamond, this is going to be the first full season. I'm going to put Vaughn at first base. That's where he needs to be, and I can't stand hearing people talk about him defensively, saying that he's going to be bad at first defensively because he was bad at in the outfield defensively, and it drives me up a wall. How oh, you see that on Twitter because the guy was a Gold Spikes Award winner at first base. If you've seen his footwork at first base, it's the most fundamentally correct footwork I've seen out of a first baseman in years. And we were talking about him in spring training, what he looked like at first base. The guy's going to be unbelievable. Sure, he might not be able to turn that double play that from second to first that Abreu is fantastic at. But again, when you get pulled off the bag, I'm not going to see him. Vaughn diving back to first base to make the play and then making the simple flip to the pitcher at the bag. So I don't know what the names are going to look like for second base. I love Trey Turner, but I'll have to see more of those candidates in a, a couple weeks here. Shortstop, Timmy, third base. Let's see if we can upgrade it. If not, like I said to Junior, throwing him right back to third. He's going to have competition with Berger, who is getting better, it looks like, defensively as we've seen him come back. We'll see what he progressions he's making during the offseason, but he's going to have Berger and Ramos right behind him as competition at third base. And I alluded to uh, a trade for a catcher uh, because Wilson Contreras, I think, is going to be too much money ultimately. So I think you have to make a trade there. Not only do you have to make a trade, but you're going to have a have to probably get a backup catcher because, let's be honest, I did not like Sebi with him calling the game or his de- defensive ability at the plate. Too many putouts at the plate where he takes his eye off the ball and the, the ball goes to the backstop. Can't have that. Um, need a better defensive catcher. So there's two catchers there I'm up, I need to get upgraded. Um, as far as rotation goes, for me, it would be Cease, Kopech, and again, I haven't seen the pitcher's names out there, but if I, I, I think Kershaw is going to be available like he was off se- this last season. If you can get him for the same price or less, I'd love to see Kershaw. Um, a deal made for him to be your third arm, second or third arm rotation, honestly. But it would be for me, Cease, Kopech, Kershaw, Lynn. I'm, I'm trading Giolito. I think PZ put some about velocity. Yeah, his, velocity, his fastball velocity has been going down over the last couple of years here. He's having trouble with the changeup. And that is, that's his to go to off speed pitch. I don't think that's going to change. Um, but yeah, I'd look for the value to get out of him. So it would be Lynn as four. And then um, I would have loved to get Cueto back for a good deal. But like I think Junior brought up, it, he might have driven that price up where you can't get him back. So in that case, I'd stick to Martin and Crochet splitting the innings next year, which isn't terrible at all for your fifth spot in the rotation. Not only that, but it work, it's working for me for 2024 because I'm trying to get the progression out of Crochet to get his arm built up for that rotation in 24. But that would be my one through five. Um, 
And I think the uh, my bench, there's four guys. So Eloy is going to be the DH. Um, probably say goodbye to Abreu. Um, so my bench as of June, after June, because um, Pollock is coming back to the my utility depth outfielder. It'd be Pollock, um, Sheets as first base, Mendick as your utility player, and uh, that backup catcher. Those are my four guys off the bench. Awesome, man. I think we all have similar outlooks and things that we want to see happen. And we're getting there. You know, it's we're going to find out sooner or later. we got to get through the Major League playoffs first. We're going to hear a lot of whispers. I'm sure if you guys follow Vinny on Twitter, you'll be hearing – uh, some of these reports as they come out, as these, you know, as the sources give, you know, Vinny the go ahead to move forward. But I think we're all excited to what the offseason is going to bring. We're excited that we got to do this show all season long. Uh, it's hard to believe we've gotten to the end. And of course, we'll pop in during the offseason here and there if there's big news that breaks. But our, our regular Monday nights will be no longer. Uh, we'll finally, Vinny and team be able to watch Monday Night Football again, which I haven't watched, uh, you know, just yet. But uh, it's okay. Uh, I'm, I don't think I'm you missing know, anything. I'm sorry, Joe. I just have to butt in here. You know, I've never seen a Manning cast. Oh, they're great. It's, it's partly because of this show. So maybe I'll have to find time to get around to that this season. Yeah, Manning cast is always a good time, man. I, I enjoy it. Uh, those two guys. Uh, did you see when he went undercover? Did you see? Did you see that Vinny when uh, Eli went under powers? Chad Powers. Chad Powers. Chad Powers. So funny. You know, it oh, was no. nice to smile about something Penn State related. I'll always have the Penn State stuff in the back of my mind when I see that logo. And now I'm hoping going because it's been like this so far for the last week or so. Every time I saw a Penn State highlight pop up. Instead of thinking of the negative surrounding that school, I'm like, Chad Powers. <laughs> Dude, I freaking love Chad Powers, man. I got a, I got, I have a great photo here I'm pulling up for you guys if you haven't seen it. You know, Eli going undercover, like he's trying, like trying out for, <laughs> trying out for freaking Penn State. Oh, if you haven't Actually, seen it. One of, one of the first quotes in that video is one of the younger players on the team going, what is this guy, 35 years old? <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's more than that <laughs> um of course the picture i grab is not great but we're gonna go and go ahead and move forward with it i got or he right he kind of had uncle rico vibes a little bit right Am I, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah absolutely i'm not gonna lie i wouldn't have been surprised if he threw a football all the way over the appalachians like <laughs> I like Uncle Rico. Man, that's a movie I haven't seen in a long time. The best scene is when he runs over the Tupperware and it cracks, and then he just pulls away. I liked uh, the like the offensive coordinator for Penn State just not having a clue that that, that is actually Eli. Like, oh, the they had coach. to be in on it. I mean, how do you look at this guy and no, think? No, the head team? coach was definitely in on it, but they never. I don't think they ever told the coordinator because he was just out of it. The uh, the prosthetic nose really helps. I'm not gonna lie, like. He looks so PZ. He looks older than me. I'm 64. <laughs> uh, this is the fun stuff we get towards the end of the show. We get loopy. We get crazy. And we're approaching two and a half hours for the season finale. But we knew it was going to be a big show. We know Ozzy, Ozzy always gets his opinion out there and gives great content. 
And just like his dad, I mean, if you're a Gian, you can talk. There's just no doubt about it. And you know your baseball. So we we love our baseball on the show, and we love the Gian family and all the support they've given us. I mean, we've hard to believe, boys, we've been doing this show for two years. And for, for Junior to give us all those compliments about our show and to support us on Gian's world and all that stuff, it's just it's huge for us. And uh, it speaks volumes to, to you men that I get to work with every single week on, on Mondays. And uh, it's been a dream. Even though this season was a nightmare, uh, the show has always been a dream. So I always appreciate you, Zim, Vinny, Gonzo. Uh, this White Sox brotherhood is deep. And uh, it was a painful one this year in terms of performance, but uh, I had a lot of fun doing it all year long with you boys, and I don't think I'd have it any other way. It's been it's been a fun ride. Painful is an understatement, Joe. Man, I don't know how many Game of Thrones we have Game of Thrones fans we have out there listening to this, but this felt like the transformation from Creon into uh, what did they call him? Reek. Reek, thank you. I knew there was an E sound in there. This felt like the transformation from Creon into Reek this season. The the slow burn of just you gotta you gotta be free of it any time now, right? Any day we're gonna be free of this, right? 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 Nope. 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 I mean, sort of. We'll be free of it when the season ends. <laughs> yeah, just like Creon was free of it when he died. And when yeah. he got his wean popped off. Oh God, Ramsey was such an asshole. That's <laughs> funny. Do you guys but, know what Tony Larusa's last move as manager of the White Sox was? It was pinch hitting for Larry Garcia. It was pinch hitting oh for Larry Garcia, and he struck, that and he struck out. And he if struck that doesn't just perfectly encapsulate the <laughs> Tony Larusa, the the second Tony Larusa era with the White Sox, like. It sucks because, you know, Tony did what he thought was best for the team. And unfortunately, that meant us fans having to watch a lot of Larry Garcia this week, this year. And he hasn't played in two weeks. I can't help but think that's not a coincidence. You are correct. Do you guys know the relevance of me showing this photo? It's a symbol of the White Sox season. The red wedding. <laughs> that's right. The red wedding. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you sum up the White Sox this year. But hey, some fun the White talking Sox about them. You know what the White Sox were this year? In these past three years, the the White Sox trajectory has been exactly the same as the run of King of Game of Thrones. It started off great, and it continued. And you're like, oh man, this is getting really good. And then all of a sudden, there were signs of like, uh, is. Is it still really good? I think it's still really good. And then this season of White Sox baseball was like the last two seasons of Game of Thrones where it started off like it's still watchable. And by the end, you were like, just turn, get this shit off my TV. Hey, maybe maybe the White Sox will be they'll turn it around. They'll be like House of the Dragon, you know, next year. And they'll all of a sudden be good again. That's right. Maybe they'll move to Winnipeg and become the Winnipeg lake monsters and rebrand themselves as a great what? team. Oh no. Wow, that, that, you totally went you did you went I didn't expect you to go there, Zen. <laughs> I'm saying they rebranded Game of Thrones as a different thing, started with more source material and it got good again. Maybe the White Sox can do the same thing. I, I know I Winnipeg can handle another team besides the Jets. 
I know I took it to a complete extreme, but I'm just maybe uh, Montreal is a better place for them to go. Uh, Bring the Expos back again. Wherever Jerry goes in the wind, blows away into the distance like a tumbleweed. But boys, let's get to the shout outs. We're at two and a half hours, but it's been an unbelievable season, unbelievable show. Uh, Zim, since I got you chatting already, why don't you give us your end of season shout outs and uh, we'll go from there. All right. Well, excuse me. Firstly, it goes to you three for inviting me back for a second season. You know, I I know that we all think that it's uh, just standard operating procedure that all four of us are going to be here. But, you know, to be formally invited back is always a nice feeling. And you, you know, you, Joe, as our producer, did the job of reaching out to us all individually and confirming us. And that felt very comforting at the beginning of the year. It was very nice to know that we were wanted, that it was not expected. And that's a big deal. And in addition to that, you know, Vinny, you've been awesome to go back and forth with this year. Chris, same to you. Like, I know we don't always get along on everything, but that's what makes this good content. That's what makes this so enjoyable. It's what makes it so fun, not just as a broadcaster, but as a listener. When I go back and I re-listen to the shows afterwards and I, I think about, oh, I should have said this. Oh, we we actually agree on this more than I thought, but I was, you know, being defensive. So I didn't think about that. And and you guys have really helped me grow in this journalism that we do together. And so I thank you all three for that, Joe. I know I left you out of that a bit, but you are still the lifeblood of this program. Uh, In addition to that, that. uh, a huge shout out to my family who has been patient with me and allowed me to do this every week, week in and week out. I know that it is just as much of of a sacrifice to them as it is for me to give up our Monday nights together. Um, And, they let me do this because they know what it means to me, what it means to you, what it means to uh, our listener. And <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help it. Um, Funny. Regardless, it's just it's it's been a journey. I couldn't have done it without their support, without them allowing me to take the time with you three gentlemen every night or every week. Well, it feels like every night the way that we talk to each other about this show, too. Yeah, Um, right. (laughs) You know, a shout out to the White Sox for being such an awful, awful organization because this show just wouldn't be interesting if they were a good team. I can't imagine listening to a Dodgers or a Yankees podcast. Can you imagine what that sounds like where they're like, we won again this week. It was awesome. Like, it's the same show every week. Aaron Judge hit a home run. (laughs) No, that's boring. I'm, I'm so thankful for the controversy that this team gives us that we are able to provide an entertaining show because the team that we follow is so entertaining. And in addition to that, speaking of team, a huge shout out to the Barroom Network for no doubt being our host, to Aldo Gandia for being the godfather, for being the inspiration and the the driving force behind everything in it how that man at at um, 
I'm sorry, Aldo, I'm going to call you old here, but how that man at his age is able to put as much energy into this as he can it's is passion. It's, it's amazing is what it is. It's, it's just pure. I don't know. I've gone on long enough. Just a huge shout out to everybody who's even the slightest part of the show. All of our guests this season, Alyssa for coming back multiple times, Ozzy for coming back multiple times. I know last week we had, oh my God, I literally just had it on the tip of my tongue and I blanked on it from the athletic Herb Lawrence. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Herb Lawrence for coming on, gracing us with his presence. Justin from the stadium crew. Um, I'm sorry. I'm forgetting his last name. But Ryan just, Lee. Excuse me. Ryan Lee. Thank you. Um, just all the awesome guests that we've had all year, all of our listeners in the chat room. It's been super great. Um, Jake Berger. Jake Berger for coming on the show. Um, you know, I know that we, uh, knock on wood, but we, we, we're kind of the drop off point for him. <laughs> if you noticed, he was on the team and then he came on our show and he wasn't on the team anymore. And I just, well, he got, he got bad luck with injuries. He's, 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 he's really breaking did. now. That's how his whole career's been, and I really hope he comes back for me again next year and competes for that roster spot and earns it back, and they trade Moncada, and he's our everyday third baseman, be, not because I've got uh, investment in his baseball collection for, and his baseball card collection for sentimental reasons. But <laughs> Well, Jim, I think we can both speak to as, as, as fathers. You know, having a kid is like a driving force in your life, and with Jake becoming a dad, I think that's going to – elevate him and i think he's gonna have a huge year next year i believe that it is i have rambled on long enough it is just so hard to condense it all into one small thing i know i'm usually the quick one with the shout outs and tonight i've let it ramble on quite a bit but it's the last show of the year it's, it's the finale it's, get it out it's so hard to thank everybody involved everybody who's made this all possible all season long so just know that if you're listening to my words right now you are exactly the person that I am thanking and shouting out right now for everything we've been able to do for the last two seasons. It's beautifully said, Zim. Thank you, buddy. And I echo all that sentiment back to you as well. Uh, Chris Gonzo Gonzalez, hit us with your shout outs. End of season. I know we'll be back in the off season, but uh, for now, it's only goodbye for now. Yeah, first off, I'm going to give a shout-out to my girlfriend, Soraya, who I know somehow has listened to us for two and a half hours. Um, she's been... God bless. God bless her soul. She's uh, given me all the love and support, um, even in my personal life, with all the sacrifice I give. She's been always there for me. Um, but again, I got to bring it right back to the, kind of what Zim alluded to. I got to bring it back to you three um, for just being patient with me, because I... And again... Zim said it as well that Joe ultimately did ask us for the season on confirmations. That was as a uh, as a producer of the show. Uh, that's what we need, and a guy that ultimately leads us. Thank you, Joe. Um, and I'm with my with I need that too because I didn't know where I was going to be for those first couple months with my schedule always rotating and continue to rotate. So. Um, I know I'm, I always want to be here and I definitely do because this is a good stressor for me in my life with my career and um, I'm always going to be here for 
each and each or all three of you. Um, I have a passion for this and I love doing this and I can't wait for season three. Um, but ultimately I got to also shout out um, our guests, everybody that Zim mentioned. Um, it just goes to show me going here into uh, season two, how we've built the connections from season one to the fact where they're getting more comfortable with us as we continue to grow. But we also see these new faces. We saw some new platforms, you know, join the White Sox world and we brought them on like, you know, um, Ray, the barber and um, Eric from what they're doing with the spaces and the juke podcast. We brought on Justin from bad guy radio. Uh, we even brought on Brian Knight from cue the music brothers. I'm not going to yeah, say the, F, the 108 attorney there. champion. Yep. I mean, a lot of great people we brought on. I, I, I can't wait to see who else we continue to bring on. We finally struck gold with that first white, white Sox player with burger. Um, can't wait to see what, who else we bring on to this for the, you know, the future here. Um, but I'm first totally excited. player during the season, which is impressive. Yep, I know. I know Vinny struggled on his show with uh, Gavin Sheets and Liam Hendricks. Um, we continue to build. Um, and I know we're just going to keep on rolling um, with all these good connections that we keep on bringing in. Um, but yeah, even our loyal listeners. I know Travis, PZ, I saw them. Chad, Justin, I saw your dad, Joe, is in there. Um, just every week, I just see you know new names and. I'm excited to see what we continue to uh, do here because it's it's truly humbling just two seasons in and you just look at all the social media platforms and how we're growing and um, it's amazing and I can't be truly you know more humble than you know this moment because we're just two seasons in and we're growing we didn't know where this would take us in the beginning and we're continuing to just get our name out there and provide that true like uh what junior said that true quality analysis that you don't see too often out there um i think that's what you know we need out here on these platforms um other than that that's gonna be uh that's gonna be my shout outs appreciate it gonzo appreciate it appreciate you always vincent parisi Vinny parisi what do you got for shout outs buddy it's been a heck of a year well, first off, thank you to my girlfriend, Katie, for being with me throughout all of this. It was a great season together, and I hope we you had as much fun enjoying baseball with me as I had enjoying it. It's a big passion in my life, and it's not always easy when I have to wake up every single morning and say, good morning, everyone. It's now, time to put on your always, socks. It's not always easy, but you know I appreciate it. it. A lot of work goes into this stuff, and the people that surround you, make sacrifices in their own right, you know, not having me available every single minute of every Monday night for the last six months or so is not easy, but it's certainly appreciated. And of course, mom, dad, Joey, thank you guys wouldn't be doing any of this stuff without them. So thank you to you three. Thank you for including me on the show. It's always a pleasure. I enjoyed making videos and doing the podcasts all season long. Um, you know, to the White Sox for existing. I know they suck. I know they're a poorly ran organization, but they bring me as much joy as any team in any sports, win or lose. I say it at the end of every video. As always, no matter what, 
let's go socks. You know, ever, it's just the way my brain works. Um, it was a great season. I enjoyed all the guests, everybody who came on. I can't thank you enough. Everybody who watched, listened to Dan, commented, said mean things, said nice things. I appreciate you. Thank you. Um, I'm excited for the off season. It's going to be nothing short of entertaining. As Zim says, even when the team thinks they are entertaining, um, it's like watching a WWF match between the rock and, you know, whoever I'm pretending to be a wrestling fan. I'm not, but the undertaker. Yeah. The, I, yeah, I do know the undertaker. I'm a, I'm a 5.9 wrestling fan. I watch the big four every year. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of fun and can't wait to run it back in the off season and see how we go from there. So thank you guys again. Oh, and don't forget to announce the winner of the tickets. Yeah, that's right. I am going to announce the winner of the tickets. I'm going to do it right now. So Vinny posted on Twitter the best, um, not best, but your your top five picks for the rotation next year. You know, you're starting five. Going down to Vinny's post right now. Let me real quick while it. Joe finds that picks his winner. For those of you listening on the audio version who don't have video, you can keep up with all of us during the off season. Just because we are gone from the airwaves does not mean that we are gone forever. You can find Joe, our lovely producer, who also hosts a fantasy football show during the football season at Joe Mandel. Uh, J-O-E-M-A-N-D-E-L. You can find Vinny Parisi, who posts articles regularly for Southside Showdown about the White Sox during the offseason and otherwise at Vinny Parisi, V-I-N-N-I-E-P-A-R-I-S-E on Twitter right there. He's going to keep talking about that as hockey season continues. He's really going to get deep into that. I know Vinny is a very passionate Devils fan, but we'll cover all of the White Sox, or excuse me, all of... The various teams in the NHL, as that season gets heated up, playoff races beginning, I'm sure that that season is going to be just as exciting as this year's MLB season was, as there are always some dark horse sleeper teams. Hey, anything can happen when half the freaking league makes the playoffs, right? (laughs) Chris Gonzalez, who, again, very passionate White Sox fan, very passionate Bears fan, We'll continue to post analysis for both of those teams at the minimum. I'm sorry, Gonzo. I don't know. Are you basketball hockey oriented at all, or is it really just baseball football for you? Uh, Sox, Bears, Hawks. Um, it used to be Bulls until the whole like Rose Thibodeau thing left. Now that they now that they brought AK back, I'm starting to get back into it. I need to continue to start getting back more into basketball. But yeah, I used to be all four sports. I feel that very, very much. Uh, Right now, it's really just the two main for me. But if you want to check out Gonzo and all of his in-depth analysis, as well as some live play-by-play during the games, I've noticed occasionally happens. uh, That's Gonzo at Gonzo CG3, G-O-N-Z-O-C-G3 on Twitter. And then there is myself, Steven Zim Zimmerman. I have... Separate accounts for everything. This time of year, I tend to end up more Bears heavy. I have Raging Bears fan, excuse me, Raging Bear fan, Raging Sox fan, depending on which team I'm following. And if you're interested in some video game content, I also have Gen 3 Champ, Champion Steven. If you're familiar with Pokemon, you understand the reference. And if you understand the reference, my content will be geared towards you. And I will leave it at that. Joe, you go ahead and announce the winner, but that is where you can find us during this offseason. 
Appreciate the little breakdown, Zim. That was fantastic for people on the podcast version and the video version. But I did pick a winner, and I have a screenshot of the tweet. The winner of the tickets to tomorrow's White Sox game is Jack Hill 43, Jacqueline Hillgoss. She says her rotation would be Cease, Lynn, Cueto, Kopech, Geo. Uh, I like that. If we keep Cueto and Geo, I like that a lot. I wouldn't mind Geo as a five. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Uh, I hope they add one more starter, but I like it if they don't. Yeah, I don't mind it. I I just liked it because she's the first person to head Geo as a five, and I, I like that a lot. I like I like it except for I would replace Kopech with crochet. I like what Junior had said earlier in the show of putting Kopech at the back end of the bullpen rather than in the starting rotation and letting him dominate for that inning or two that he's really capable of and bringing in crochet as another lefty into that rotation. We really need lefties in the starting five. That's right. That's right. Well, congrats to Jacqueline. Uh, hopefully she can go to the game because it's uh, it is a night game uh, Tuesday night, one of the last of the season. So go and enjoy it. So uh, getting to my shout outs. I know we're getting long winded here, boys, approaching the three hour mark. We're going to wrap things up. But uh, first and foremost, I, I got to thank you guys for going on this journey with me. Um, and I got this thing rocking and rolling two years ago. I never thought in a million years we would have active players people in the stadium, Ozzie Guillen Jr. Ozzie Guillen actually wearing one of our hats during one of his shows. I mean, what? I mean, that's insane. So the growth is amazing. Uh, I got to thank Aldo Gandia as well for putting this network together, giving us a platform. I can't thank you. There's not enough words to thank you. So Aldo, thank you. Uh, All three of you guys I mentioned, but Vinny uh, doing the put on your socks videos and and Zim and Gonzo. Vinny recorded one, I'm pretty sure, every day for a, over the entire season, which is insane. I, I wasn't even able to do that. I edited a lot of them, but Vinny recorded one almost every day. And huge shout out to you, Vinny, for doing that. The dedication there. It's always been great content all year long. Uh, I want to shout out my beautiful wife, Catherine, our baby girl, Audrey, and my great Dane, Maverick. We, we made a move from Illinois to Michigan. We just closed on our house Friday. We moved in this weekend. Boxes are everywhere. We're getting stuff together. But we have our dream house. We're living the dream. Life is good. It is an absolutely beautiful thing. So shout out to my wife and just oh, shout out to God in general. for just, I just feel super blessed. So I'm just happy to be able to do that. I'm not going to get all preachy religious on everybody, but I feel very blessed with the life that I have. So I just want to shout out uh, my beautiful wife and for helping me get there. So uh, it's been a beautiful thing. And uh, I think that's, that's really all I got. Shout out to the, I want to shout out also the White Sox PR. We've been kind of on the, on the map with them this year as well, you know, getting invited to some events at the park and hopefully more things in the future. Um, we had a good relationship there and hopefully we can have a bigger presence with the team. And I've just had so much fun this year, guys. There's not enough that I can say about all three of you and uh, the work we've done all year. 
it's crazy to think that the season is over, but I'm, I'm happy to to uh, be going into the off season with a lot of change on the horizon. On that note, I do want to add at least my most enjoyable moment because I hate anything's negative, but Cease going 23 out of 32 starts with one run or less, I believe the stat was, to watch him make that progression and leap makes me so much comfortable um, with him going forward, not only as for his progression, but for an ace on this staff going forward. Um, I have a lot of faith in him, and I can't wait for what is in store for him and what he can work on this offseason to be that elite arm elite arm going forward. Both him and Kobeck, I'm sure, are going to make leaps. Yeah, my favorite moment this season is when Tony fell asleep in the dugout. <laughs> I my think that's kind of sad, but it's true. My favorite moment was today. <laughs> oh, Jesus. My favorite, moment, my favorite moment was when I got my first two White Sox jerseys. I got a Tim Anderson Southside jersey, and I got a Jose Abreu white pinstripe jersey. I I wish I could say it was something on the field, but... Uh, I, ta- hey. I take back. <clears throat> I take back my favorite moment. It's, it's having Jake Berger on this show. And the fact that they got married the day after they were on our show on the beach at like sunrise and they finished the show with us, probably went to bed and got married like three hours later. That was, that was, you know, what's funny is they were on the show and we're all sitting there going, and I really hope that I don't um, say anything out of, out of line here, but we, uh, we got off the show with them and Jake mentioned that they hadn't seen each other in a couple of days. And we're sitting here going, Oh, he has COVID for sure. He's isolating. And then they get married the next day. And we're like, my brain immediately went, Oh no, they're just traditional. Like they just exactly they didn't see each other before the wedding. It was pretty amazing. I'm pretty amazing. And, and that's another shout out. I want to toss in as well as a shout out to Jake and his wife, Ashlyn. They'll be welcoming a little, a little baby boy here, not not too far off, actually. I think. Little slider. That's right, little slider. Their 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 son, cheese, cheeseburger. Um, no, please don't name your son cheese. It was a terrible joke. Um, but no, shout out to the burgers. Can't wait to see you guys progress and become parents. It's it's a lot of fun. I've gotten long winded, boys. We got through all of our shout outs. And we're here at the end of season two. I got nothing else to say. For the South Burbs Hitmen, I'm Joe Mandel. The guy in the sweet Door County hat that you've seen a lot this season is Vinny Parisi. In the white South Burbs Hitmen hoodie is Chris Gonzalez, all the way from the West Coast. And Steven Zim Zimmerman, our Colorado boy, Rocky Mountain High. I don't know why that just made sense in my head. It didn't really make any sense to say it out loud. But Steven Zim Zimmerman is there in the Death Star per usual. Uh, we will see you guys later in this offseason when inevitably something happens in this manager search. But until then, as always, let's go White Sox. And uh, maybe they'll win a couple games to end the year. Who knows? We're going to get out of here, but the White Sox, their season's over just about. And so are we, but 
Can't wait to see you guys next year. Thank you for tuning in all season long. We love you. See you next time.